You're listening to Creating a Universe, a Love Anarchy podcast hosted by William J. Rogers. On this show, we follow the journey of creatives, artists, and entrepreneurs who are making a name for themselves in the ever-evolving landscape of today's industry. Featuring an insight into both Love Anarchy and the Labaniverse music universe, as well as the individual projects and stories of each of our guests from the music industry and beyond. So whether you're a budding creative or simply interested in what goes on behind the scenes, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to Creating a Universe. I'm your host, William J. Rogers. And today I am here with solo guitarist and host of the Toned and Toneful podcast, Mr. Chris Johnson. How's it going, Chris? I'm doing excellent today. I'm really glad to be here with you today, William. Oh, yeah, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Like, I feel like this one has been a long time coming, something of a kind of podcast collab <laughs> almost. So, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming and joining me. <clears throat> so to kick things off, um, for people that don't, may not know who you are, would you be able to give a little bit of an overview as to who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So um, I am a guitar player who plays uh, solo guitar music. Uh, right now I'm working on a my first solo release. Um, it's going to be a three song EP. So I've been tying that up the last few months with a lot much uh, with a lot much more direction than I had in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I used to uh, do a lot of the NAM shows. So I was also a like artist rep for the Mayonez guitars in like 2013, 2014 and 2015. And in 2016 and 17 and 18, I also played at the Anderson booth with Sean Ash. So that was a really, really cool opportunity. So I've done that. Um, he's an amazing solo guitar player and is the person who inspired me to take on playing solo guitar myself. Um, at the current time, um, I've done some songs with some friends like in Oceans and Silhouette, Mr. Ben McSherry. We had a single come out this last year and uh, we've been just kind of pushing forward with a lot of production and a lot of just musical ideas. So that's who I am. I also do the Toned and Toneful video podcast that is about the spirituality of musicians, the uh, physicality of musicians, and also sometimes we do guitar lessons. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing, man. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, I mean... You know, I'm, I, you know, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, of what you do. I think, you know, as a guitarist, you're, you know, you have such, um, you're, you're just so expressive in how you play. Like, um, you know, you're very dedicated, of course, um, and have been playing guitar for a long time. And obviously people will be able to tell that you playing at the booths at NAMM and stuff. You're obviously uh, very good at what you do, but also so um, expressive and, and colorful in, in, in your style. Like, I absolutely uh, love that about um, about you as a musician. Um, I mean, how, how how would you describe yourself as a guitarist or your approach to playing guitar? <laughs> you know, it's really kind of funny. So um, I was very fortunate. I started playing guitar in the year 2000. So um, this year, it's 23 years coming this December. December 28th oh. is my day. And uh, my approach to guitar is, is kind of eclectic. Um, you know, obviously I started off with the pop punk rage that everyone kind of did in the 2000s. So, you know, obviously Blink-182, Sum-41, uh, Nickelback, Linkin Park, all those things were really early inspirations. So that got me doing all sorts of things with my new guitar when I was a teenager, down tuning it, trying out different string gauges, mm -hmm. soldering in my own pickups because single coils weren't enough for the sound. So I needed a humbucker. My first humbucker pickguard I did, I actually took the soldering iron and took it to the plastic. I, I, I probably have lung damage still from that, you know, trying, oh, to, trying to cut out enough to make a humbucker fit in there. That was a really hilarious uh, moment in my life. 
And, uh, wow. yeah, so, um, my approach to guitar has always been one that the music comes first. I love songwriting. I'm really, really big on the texture and the kind of the, the emotion that you have in your playing before it reaches the instrument. So I, I typically pick up a guitar either when I'm already feeling emotional or there's a kind of a gathered emotional buildup that, that will help press the, the buttons on the guitar playing. Cause to me, nothing is worse than just sitting there, just nailing scales out and just being like, all right, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. yeah I but, suppose uh, if that, if that approach might be considered mechanical, you know, the, the kind of chromatic scale robot type thing, then yeah, your approach is, I suppose, somewhat opposite to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and at the same time, what's weird about it is I admire guys like John Petrucci and like, you know, mm. watching the old like rock discipline, which is a totally mechanical like guitar video. But I think that if you were to take, like, for example, you know, training, uh, like working out and you were to work out, some of it is going to be mechanical, but the way that you feel about it is very emotional. Mm-hmm. So I think that like taking the aspect of that emotional rush to me, I'll usually play first for a while. I might do some exercise. I'm not going to lie. I'm still going to do that stuff. But mm-hmm. those are intermixed in with very like i'll find something that's hard for me to play and that's going to be my practice it's not going to be like a scale it's going to be like oh that part of that song is hard why is it oh it's it's because it's 16th notes it's because it's a dotted rhythm or an odd time signature and then i'm gonna learn that theory through that riff and once that's done Mm -hmm. you have not only something that you understand now but it's very functional in your world you go oh the next time i run into that I have like an idea of how that would work for me or work for, you know, the musicians around me. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. much more practical really, isn't it? To take that approach rather than have everything like all the theory purely in the abstract. <laughs> you know, if you learn it as it's applicable, then it's, it's going to really stick. <laughs> you're, no, you're hundred percent correct in that. I think that a lot of people will put so much effort into wanting to be the best. We'll put that in quotations, wanting to be the mm. best. What are you going to do? Alter, out, alternate pick everybody, out hybrid pick everybody, out <laughs> <luck>. economy. <laughs> yeah, right. Because there's going to be a person who understands where their skill is and what they're passionate about. And they're going to put their passion into that. And they're going to be great at it. And you might never surpass the skill level of that. But is that really your aim? Is that why you came to guitar? Is just to, like, then you might as well be in the Olympics and try to t- do something that's athletic or something competitive. Mm-hmm. which, you know, I've done one competitive thing with guitar. I did play uh, the Guitar Mageddon that Guitar Center hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> back in, you probably remember those. Like back in the, uh, like the, the early thousands, they had a couple of these contests that were pretty popular until about, probably about 20, like 2008, 2010. And uh, I remember doing one and I had only been playing guitar for one year and I was like, oh, I want to do this. And I got second place in the San Jose one. And the guy who had won was like a fusion player. Like he was yeah, playing changes. Wow. He was super good. But I never felt like thrown off from that. That never made me feel bad about my playing. I think that it made me recognize that there's a lot of really good players. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I was like, oh, I've already got second place. I've been playing a year. Mm-hmm. What, what is it that maybe I had? And I realized it was musicality, always first. Yeah. Yeah, a musical mind, right? That's, that's where the music really is, or maybe even <laughs> beyond that. I suppose the way that you say it is, Right, you're an artist, right? And and you're somebody that is expressing yourself and you have chosen guitar as a medium. And obviously I know that you you clearly have a very sort of holistic approach and way of thinking, which we'll get into a little bit more with the podcast and everything. But 
Um, what was it about guitar specifically that that made like that be the instrument that you chose as your means of expression? You're gonna laugh here. This is <laughs> oh, when I was a kid. You know, um, you know, uh, my dad. He was a um, he's a very musical guy. He plays flute. He was inspired by like Jethro Tull and stuff. So he oh, plays. Amazing. Flute. I had a really good singer, and cool. so when we were kids, we like would watch like the Transformers cartoons. Me, and my my sister and I, we would watch like the Transformer cartoons and all this kind of stuff. And I was like super into the fact that there was like guitar in the background. But one day my dad, you know, he was a bartender when we were young. So my mom worked during the day and then she would watch us at night. And my dad would watch us during the day and he'd bartend at night. And so when he was out, he, he snagged a couple of these videotapes that were all the popular music videos. And so one of the ones that highly affected me was the white snake. Give me all your love tonight video. Oh yeah. <laughs> something about all these people being in one spot and like, I had, when I was a kid, I had like, I didn't grow super long hair, but I, I grew my hair out the first time. And I remember everyone being like, this kid needs to cut his hair. And my mom was, she let me have long hair. She was okay with it. And um, so at the time I was like, all right, you know, I'm seeing this dude like uh, Vivian Campbell and he's shredding in the song and he's got the black guitar and he's got like the big hair and the super tight pants. And I don't know what about that silhouette and that imagery, but it did something to me that was very specific. And it just really hit me in the head, the way the guitar sounded, the way the guitar looked, it was just something that I couldn't really get past. Mm. But funny enough, the first instrument I attempted to play was bass. And my dad had taken oh. me to a store and I'm not a very tall individual. I'm a full grown adult. I'm five foot four, maybe like, you know, so mm -hmm. I don't know, 160 centimeters, 163. I'm not, I'm not super mm -hmm. tall. And so we go, we go down to the, the store and I look at a bass and it's, to reach the first fret was like a that F note was a nightmare. I was like, uh oh. My dad's like, you know, maybe like you know, you always were saying something about guitar. Might maybe the guitar could be the thing. And so, um, yeah, I was just deeply uh, in love with bass because at the time, Deftones had started getting popular. Okay. And I was like, the bass line in the song "My Summer Shove It" was just like, I was like, whoa, what's that instrument? It sounds so low. It sounds crazy. My dad's like, oh, that's the bass guitar, and he's like. He's like, that's like the home between the drums and the guitar. And since my dad was in a band, he was aware of that. And he, he told me mm. that. But the funny thing was, is like, <laughs> the second I picked up a guitar and heard that distorted sound, it's like, I never went back. I mean, I own a bass, mm. but guitar just became like my heart. Like it was, whether it was the pickups, whether it was the sound, double tracking, all those things just gave me so much to work on and so much to focus on. And, um, you know, what really kept me into it, you know, I had learned a couple albums the whole way through, but what kept me on guitar, I think predominantly was my uncle walks up to me and he goes, you know, this might be a pair of pants that are too big for you. And it was my uncle David and he was in some bands. He goes, but here's this CD and I, I don't know if you'll like it. And he gave me the album. He just, like, took it out of his car and gave it to me. And it was liquid tension experiment. The first one. Wow. <laughs> imagine my mind hearing paradigm mind shift intro, the first time just straight. <laughs> freaking ripping dude just yeah. john patrici and mike portnoy just wanting to like just they were just shred through that first sequence and i was just like oh so you could do this with guitar you could wow. really do this crazy it's not just power chords you know like you know off the tabs i was learning i'm like i saw the tabs for that the first time i was like i don't even know what this means what do you mean 21 yeah. and i was trying <laughs> to get up there and my guitar only had 20 frets and i was struggling with a little squire uh, hilarious <laughs> hilarious Wow. Yeah, that's kind of got me started. Yeah, amazing, man. That's cool. It's cool. I can relate to a lot of it, man. That's that, yeah, that's uh 
That's nice. I remember for me that probably that one, the the mind blown moment was like somebody showed me um, like one of the G3 DVDs, I think with Joe Satriani, Steve Vai and uh, Ungwey Malmsteen. And so I was into, you know, rock and metal already and, you know, whatever, Angus Young and Slash and stuff. But when I saw that, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is just some showcase of like, off the wall stuff, and obviously, yeah, liquid tension experiment. Maybe later is another was another thing. Just when you see people doing that stuff, it's like, what? <laughs> but now, now you have guys that are doing things that I don't know just make me feel old. <laughs> you know, oh, some yeah. of the really There's, modern guys. <laughs> yeah, they've taken that to a whole new paradigm itself. You know, that yeah. whole new level of that that mm-hmm. level of prog and just really amped it up. Yeah. But you have to, it's in favor to those those musicians who we were listening to, like you said, you know, those G3 mm. things. If that was what you were listening to at our age, the next yeah. generation of kids had something to grow off what the people our age wrote, you know, I mean, such things. That's it, man. That's it. I just, uh, I remember it's um, Joe Satriani, Mystical Potato Head Groove Thing. And he does this and then he like um, holds the neck up here and starts like sweeping across here. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is <I> this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, but that's so cool. I, I I love that. So yeah, yeah, man, that's cool. And and you know the hair metal and things. It was it was cool, especially I remember as a kid. You know the hair metal rock stars are almost like superheroes. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that was what kind of got it in my head was. You know, I was really into, uh, my mom had me uh, doing karate at the time and stuff. So, you know, cool. to me, my whole life was, 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 you know, was disciplined, you know, it was a very, mm. uh, you know, kind of, I went to a private school as a kid and stuff like that. So that reckless abandon that appeared in rock and roll, the way that it mm. did was just like, whoa, it's like, it, they didn't even look like they were trying to play, you know, they were just mm. like, they were just like on that. And I was like, oh man, like, this is just something that it, it, I think every person in their mind has like two different two different sides and everyone can, can showcase those to different degrees. Some people really do live the half and half. Some people tend to pull out one side more often of their personality slash their mindset than others. Some of it's more hidden and some people just go with the extreme side, you know? And so for me, seeing that extreme expression was like, that's something I know I need in my life. Now, how Mm -hmm. I'm going to incorporate that into my life has been through many different trial trials and errors Mm -hmm. and guitar has been expressed in my life in calm manners and, and, and very like, uh, intense manners. Cause I, like you, I was into the metal scene too. I was super into like, remember when Slipknot first came out and Mudvayne. Mm. I was like, Oh, I want to like learn this. And I was like, crap, you can't have one guitar and tune one and drop B mm. and then try to go back up to E and your string breaks the first time you're like, Oh, I guess mm-hmm. I can't like go back and forth like 10 times in one day. You got to uh-huh. like kind of choose which guitar is going to have what tuning. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, guitar, guitar itself, is such a is such a personally expressive instrument that I think that a lot of people who step into that world can really find a home in it because guitar goes to so many musics. So mm. I've been fortunate to be able to just kind of jump through those loops. So again, while it started with like the hair metal and that envisionment, and you know, I've always had long hair since I was I've had long hair since I was 13. You know, I'm mm. in my mid-30s now. So obviously 20 years of long hair and I've like just kept that. Mm-hmm. And it's always been part of like a vision that I see, but at the same time, very much so the playing has in the mindset has always been going through phases, whether that was Aldi Miola was my favorite and it was Friday night in San Francisco for a couple of years was like the album I considered the pinnacle of guitar, getting mm. to Pat Metheny, getting to like fusion guitar players, Larry Carlton, getting mm, to, wow. you know, you know, 
all the different, and then going through a period of like John Frusciante is the coolest guitar player. And I just want to strum on an E seven chord for an hour and just punkify it. <laughs> so I've been through all those phases where, yeah. you know, you can kind of tell that, you know, I've owned probably 30 or 40 guitars, gone through so many different types, wow. just trying different things out. So I've been very fortunate in my life to really explore guitar and really enjoy guitar mm. for its joy and, you know, be in bands and also like be in places where I worked in music. So uh, guitar has really opened my life up in ways that I don't think if I chose a different hobby, it would be exactly the same and I wouldn't trade it. Mm. You know? mm -hmm. I get you, man. I get you. That, that, that's really cool. And so would, would you say it would be fair to say in terms of you as a musician and, and your love for music and the kind of music that you've been interested in and, um, would you say it's all very guitar centric? Like the instrument itself was what brought you in and that's really the core of it? Is that fair to say? It's funny. That's a very good question. <clears throat> and initially the answer is yes to that. The, the initial mm. answer is yes. A lot of things that I was drawn to was whether it was a cool guitar sound or I felt mm. affected by the guitar. But what I didn't realize at the time, especially when you're younger and as you get old, you start realizing it, the drummers who you're attracted to. The drummer who is playing very well along with that guitar player and they're accenting each other very well, I started becoming very interested in drums. I never played drums. My sister actually got a drum set when we were teenagers and she would play with me and nice. she was all about it. She was actually really good at counting. She had really strong natural rhythm. And, you know, it's kind of a bummer. We never had our own little white stripes, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you think about it, that in saxophone was a big deal because I was in band and I played clarinet when I was in, when oh, I was in eighth cool. grade. So that's how I learned how to read music. That's how I learned like, mm. oh, cool. This is the treble staff. This is the bass staff. This is like, the, you know, every good boy does fine, you know, and learning all your notations and you're like, oh, cool. Like, you know, and being able to read music, not just read tabs. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my divergence from that. And um, I started noticing saxophone a lot. That's another one that I like. And it's because of the wide intervallic structures that they can play. Mm. So uh, one of the songs that I have coming out on this current EP that I'm like finishing up right now, one of the songs is called Breathe the Life. And the music on that particular song, someone would be like, did this guy just want to be a saxophone on this song? Because the way it sounds, it's not that it's slow, but the way that the intervallic lines go, you're like, mm. this is almost more of a saxophone player thing than a guitar player thing. There's no, it's no minor pentatonic in a direct row, or it's no like mm. very guitar-esque linear scale stuff. It's very like, cool. Like we're doing, you know, jumping between sevens, fifths and, you know, nines and kind of having articulations that are much more associated with someone who can, as soon as they change keys on a saxophone, they can, they can jump really large intervals very easily. Mm -hmm. Or on guitar, that might require a lot of either motion or you might be tapping or you might be using another technique that might take time to develop to get up to that. Mm -hmm. that that's nice, man. I like, I like that a lot. And so you mentioned well, you mentioned saxophone now, and you mentioned a lot of really great jazz fusion players. You obviously have you used this tag as well. Tiger loves jazz. Um, so how would you describe the music that you're working on? Uh, somewhat very, jazz <laughs> orientated? Uh, somewhat, yes. Uh, in a way, in a way. Um, you know Sean Lane, the guitar player, Powers of 10? All right, okay. Okay, uh, that, that would be very similar to what my, my aim and what I'm really looking to do over my next few releases and just kind of where I'm looking to go is something much more along the lines of a very old school fusion player. And right, like, cool. uh, but not so much like playing over like chord changes just to play like a bunch of changes, but more that melodic, like maybe early 90s instrumental, like, 
like, you know, Sean Lane, something like Guthrie or Andy Timmons, things like mm-hmm. that are a really huge deal where mm-hmm. those players really affect me by the melody being such a forefront. So every song has melodies that you would correlate, oh, this is a chorus or this is a verse and mm-hmm. everything isn't so dialed into maybe, oh, like there's these abstract parts that have very cool guitar parts on top, but you kind of can't lay it down. Like, I feel like if someone made up lyrics to one of my songs, they could sing it. They can make a mm-hmm. fake song or they could, they can play it on another instrument. And if that song say were to get popular enough, someone could play it somewhere and be like, Oh, isn't that that one song? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really aim for very vocal lines. Um, one yeah. of my very favorite musicians is Sade and, mm-hmm. um, which you guys are very lucky to have. I think she's over there from, from England with you guys. <laughs> nice. And, uh, her, her music, if I could have things that were that romantic and that, you know, I dare I say sexy, you know, it, like mm-hmm. the music needs to almost be sensual. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very, very large part of what I aim for. So um, really like I'm playing a JCM 800 on it, a nice little eighties one that I have. That's great. It's got a 40 year old mm-hmm. Celestian 30 in it, uh, vintage 30 in there. It sounds amazing. I've got a couple of loose pedals and a couple of nice little pedals to put in front of it. It actually has an effects loop built in. And that sound of the early nineties kind of like, like rock fusion, like it, like it's Sean Lane and Andy Timmons really nails it. If it if I were to sound like that and offer something that was a little bit jazzier in format, like just the mm. way that it feels, I would feel that I, I really accomplished my mission. That would be amazing. Yeah, amazing. I think that gives uh, gives a uh, a good taste of the idea. Anyway, man. Yeah, v- very cool. I mean, I was literally I, I was literally listening to um, Guthrie Govan like right up until this podcast, and then uh, and yeah, Larry Carlton a lot, man. I listened to those Steely Dan records, especially, man. L- love love all that stuff. So good. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm glad you have a I'm glad you're aware of those players. A lot of times I'll talk to people and again, I know you're in guitar, so that's something you'd know, but mm. it's a bummer when you're like, Oh guys, check out this song. And they're just like, they're like, dude, who is this guy? And you're like, dude, this record's 20 years old. What yeah. do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, of course. But yeah, as you say, outside of guitar, I mean, yeah, you, you might not know a Larry Carlton or something like that. People might know, you know, Steely Dan or somewhere where he might have featured, but yeah, you got to you got to kind of be into into it to really know uh, those guys' names. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's really cool. And so you said you had like the JCM eight hundred and stuff. So are you like, is that yours that you have at home and you're like recording everything yourself at home? Yes, that's a great question. So my aim right now is, you know, I'm doing I'm doing final tracking on two songs. And my thing is, is if I can at least, cause I'm one of those players that like, you put too many cameras on me, man. And I'm like, <laughs> can't play I, anymore. I yeah. so much like I'm nervous. It's like, yeah. what is this all for? And I think because I play music so much for myself and it's mm. not like a, the aim isn't like, Oh, I'm playing music to be the best guitar player. Sometimes when I, when I'm doing like even any kind of showing, I always have to remember to myself like, Oh, this is just people being excited with you. And that's my best way to put it in my mind. I think a lot of people get under the pressure of like, oh my God, if I play bad, this is going to ruin my reputation or ruin everything because they're going to put it on YouTube and people are going to see mistakes. Bro, I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm, I'm, there's also times where I play perfectly. And so the aim is, is just to get these performances that are one take 
that are that are really really locked in mm. for what they for what they need to be and sometimes that can take time it's not about perfection but it's like i do not like splicing stuff if mm. if i have to start splicing things uh, all my videos that i do on instagram any video that i have if you're like dude that guy's playing really good they're all live takes i don't ever record something and then mime it because i won't remember because a lot of times i'm either just making it up at the moment Mm. or it's a reaction to the music that's happening. Mm -hmm. There's a very careful line that I think musicians need to walk. I've seen a lot of really talented guitar players live, but sometimes I think their talent lies more in the production of it and making it than it might be in playing live. Mm. Like uh, you've heard of the guitar player, Wes Houch, right? From, from Alluvial and the faceless and stuff. Mm -hmm. He's one of those guys. If you see him live, Oh my God, he doesn't miss a note. He's just ripping everything apart you're like dude this guy's taking lunch money like mm -hmm. straight up and you know i've seen players like plenty live and he's really clean and he's really good and i've seen players like aaron marshall they have this studio s sound but when you see wes houch it's like you're seeing van halen like there's just this rip that's so real and i try to keep in mind that uh, if the person if you yourself doesn't feel that performance it's mm -hmm. really hard for me to lay that down and go Cool, because I've taken, you know, performances, Ben, and Ben is a gem. Ben from Oceans and Silhouette, one of my really, 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 really close brothers. He'll sit there with me and he'll go, dude, like, you're right on time, the metronome the whole way. I'll listen back and I'll be like, I don't know, man. Like, it's not about, again, it's not about profession, but there's like, mm. there's sometimes no feel. Even if you nail it out on the metronome the whole way and you're like, cool, mm. like, right on this note, this uh, right on this chord, this is my target note. And then on this next chord, like, I'm going to play this phrase and land on this target note. Mm. that can all be there and still not be the take so i just really the jcm 800 is just an old school raw sound it's very basic with a dry pedal in the front you get just enough game but you gotta you gotta play it right and the guitar that i'm using on all these recordings is this very 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 nice tom anderson right here mm. uh, this one is a super cool one uh chocolate maple necks so that neck looks brown kind of like a lot of those what you see on the ibanez is now just a Nice little rosewood board, which you don't see too often anymore. Rosewood's becoming rare and rare. And then this is a double layer paint job with the aging. So this one's a super cool one that I really enjoy. Um, it kind of gives me the feel of a Les Paul. My first real nice guitar was a Les Paul. So this one's got a 24 three-quarter scale length, and it's got the double humbuckers. So for me, that's it falls right in line with what Sean Lane did. Sean Lane played a 24 fret guitar with 24 three-quarter. And if, you know... I do anything on there and it sounds, it gets that vibe. Mm -hmm. That's when I know I'm in the zone. And, mm -hmm. and I try to record everything through an SM57. And my friend Ben from Oceans and Silhouette will always be the guy who's going to be doing a lot of the mixing. He's really, really conscious of my sound. And um, he really helped me with, uh, there's a song on my EP called Celestial Promise, which I'm very excited to have come out. It's in Dab Gad. And I've never written a song in an open tuning. Awesome. And, uh, that song right there, that man really sat down and helped me find this, like how to get that old school sound over riffs that were totally different. And mm -hmm. it, that, that's, that's really the thing. It's like recording it yourself, doing it yourself. And it's not about the studio doing a bad job. Studios are amazing. Honestly, probably a studio would probably make it cleaner, probably sitting in a room with everything power conditioned and everything. But that's not the aim of my music. My aim is to, mm -hmm. once I start releasing, I just want to start doing shows and then releasing more and more and more. And those people who are looking for that raw, natural guitar sound, they'll find me. I know they mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. It's, it, 
it harks back, I suppose, to this approach that you very clearly have. And as you say, it's really about the authentic expression. And and in that in that way, almost perfection is sometimes the opposite of what you're looking for. As you say, it can be like note for note to the beat, but then if it if it is somewhat mechanical, if it doesn't feel right, often it's the imperfections that really add that character to it, right? Especially because you're so into jazz and such, like it's all about that expression and the improvisation and that that moment in time capturing the lightning in the bottle, you know? <laughs> so I love that, man. Uh, you ever heard of the uh, player Christo Vichev? He's a, he's a, he's, he's on, he's on Instagram, a really popular guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he plays a lot of uh, jazz fusion music. And I was very, very fortunate to go see him play uh, about three, four weeks ago. And there was something in that room where that man could do nothing wrong. Yeah. But he wasn't doing everything right. How could you do nothing wrong if you weren't doing everything right? But the thing was, is he had everything so locked in and so yeah. dialed in for his connection with the audience and his connection with the instrument. He's playing with a drummer. They have a bass player playing a six string bass. Who's just, he's like, bro, I'm not leaving one note unplayed on this bass before I go out of here tonight. <laughs> and just like, bro, this guy's like Tony Levin level. Like, you know, just like just straight Chapman stick level bass playing. You're, I don't even understand how this guitar player is playing over this stuff. Cause yeah. it's so full already melodically just from the bass the fact that he found space for every note that he was playing and everything that he was doing was absolutely what i go for that gem of like i'm reacting to what's going on and he's playing through a little 20 watt like fender jr or whatever and it just it blew the house up this guy was just destroying everything and i was like he's got a little four four pedal board little just four little pedals on it and he was just cooking and you don't see that much now everyone's got their little you know i had an ax8 i was a victim of the uh the digital digital neural dsp i'm you know again i'm 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 not a victim but you know you know what i mean like uh, (laughs) it's easy to fall for (laughs) i've been a victim of the mindset of perfection speaking you know just to what you had said about you know trying to be as organic as possible and i've been a victim of going against my true nature we've all gone against our true nature in some time in life whether it's an experiment or whether we hear something and we react to it, you know, and it's easy. Like my first name, I went there and I was, you know, I was really into alternate picking. I was playing a bunch of stuff with a bunch of the uh, players who came to the Nambu. So I'm hanging out with John Brown. I'm hanging out with Marcus Miller, like, like people who I'm like, I can't believe this person's next to me. The boys from Polyphia, they were super cool. I had met them online before and they were like, Oh dude, we're coming to the Nam show. And then when I met them in person, they all stopped by the booth. They came by several times. I still talk to them. They're great guys. And like to sit there and play with them and, and show my talent as raw as I could and be there there. The, even those people could be like, Oh, there's something in that. And the funniest thing is my first three years after Nam were actually my worst periods because there was this idea that I needed to gain more skills. I saw all these people and then I was under the impression mm. that what I brought to the table wasn't what I really wanted to bring to the table, mm-hmm. but that's what my connection with all those people were. Mm-hmm. And so I chased all sorts of different sounds, chased being more perfect, turned on the metronome 24 hours. Oh, I don't play anything without a metronome. Everything's like this. Like I'm trying to write all these complicated, you know, 13 over, you know, this kind of timing, this or 13 over four, trying to do seven over four, like trying. Mm. And uh, I ended up in a lot of very precarious situations because of the fact that I didn't know how to 
utilize the talent that I had and just push that ball forward. I think a lot of people, again, want to become the best. I'm even a victim of that myself. And Mm -hmm. in letting go of becoming the best, I'm becoming my best self because myself is a very specific thing We're we're like a slice of the pie and you got to recognize you'll never be the whole pie. Mm -hmm. And I think that as I've come back to my more organic mindset that I had when I was a child that like, Hey, that guy throws better kicks at the karate class, but I was really good at blocking and I had really good punches. So like, you need to know where you're really good and utilize that in your life because someone's going to look at you and go, wow, they're really good at punching or someone's going to go, wow, he's really good at alternate picking, you know, and that, that same admiration that I have for this, doing this with you and your organization, your ability to kind of set up your whole podcast the way you do. One of the things that's so special for me to talk to you is to see someone who has that all set up and, and work with them and speak with them. And just know that on like a crazy level, every time I'm doing something, I'm admiring somebody. And I realize that someone's doing that to me in a way mm-hmm. I might, maybe I don't know it, but I'm mm-hmm. doing that and we're all doing that. And it's beautiful. I love that, man. Yeah. That's the real, you know, the ripple effect. Right. And it's just, uh, yeah, the, the dance of life really. And that's, that's very cool. I, I, I love, um, I love your whole mindset with it, man. And and I get it, especially, I can imagine, man, like being at the, you know, on the NAM booths and stuff, like sit, being surrounded by these like top, top, top guys. I can imagine the kind of imposter syndrome and such that would come from that. You got to develop a thick skin, right? <laughs> Don't mind me, Jason Richardson just played, you know? Yeah. And, but at the same time, you have to take things as they are, you know? Like you said, there there is that, you know, there is that like initial shock that someone could be so good at something. But one of my favorite things, you know, one of my favorite memories is, um, what, what, I, you know, I can't remember his, uh, is it Sterling uh, or, you know, uh, it's Music Man, yeah. but whatever the owner's name is, uh, Mark or like, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but they were there. And it was one, like 2013 was a very interesting year. Cause that's when the seven and eight string thing was like starting to take over just barely. So like, everyone's like, Oh, oh God, is this the new thing? And I remember showing up at the uh, booth and they had, a, I at the time owned a JP6. So I was, I love that guitar. The JP6 is one of the coolest guitars in the world. Mm. And uh, the old one too, with the forearm scoop and just like the original, like mystic dream color. Like, oh, I wish I never sold mine. <laughs> so um, I go over there and I'm hanging out with, um, at the booth and I'm just kind of checking out some different guitars. And I'm like, wow, look at these like different colors they got. And this guy comes up and he's playing a seven string John Petrucci and he's just, he's genting to death. And I could tell, I could tell the owner, uh, I wish I remembered his name. He's playing bass and he's, he's just sitting there playing bass and it's, it's a blues jam. I'm like, dude, he's playing a one, four, five. This guy just wants someone to play with him. He's, and he won't oh, stop man. playing. He's like, he's on it. He's just there playing this line and this other guy's genting. And you're like, this is such a funny combination because this kid can't see that this other, you know, the owner of the guitar company is trying to jam with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the kid puts down the seven string and I walk up and I just start playing blues. Like, so I'm like, oh, he's playing a, you know, he's playing a, you know, blues and D like whatever. Like I'm just go along with this. I'm like, all right, mm. D, you know, then he goes to the next chord G, then he's going up to his A, you know, like A. And then I'm like, all right, bro, it's a one, four, five. This is like, let's jump in. So I'm starting to blues it up. And he goes, finally, someone gets it. what's your name we met and we talked and it was such a good talk and this is my first year there so him just even kind of giving me that you're like whoa that's the owner of a company who knows john he knows john petrucci like he knows eddie van halen like this guy is probably jammed with them a little bit too but the fact that i could 
connect with him was infinitely more important than how many weird things I could do on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that that was my goal every time that I was approaching the instrument and that I was approaching with people, you know, it's like, it needs to be that connection point. And if you can find that in what you do, you're gonna, you're gonna find your tribe. I talk about, uh, you know, this is not to get ahead of myself, but on my podcast, I do talk about tribe a lot and it's the people who see the value in what you do and push you forward in it. And for all intents and purposes, that man became part of my tribe. And for all intents and purposes, like I became part of his tribe. And every year that he saw me, him and his sons would be like, Oh, what's up? I'm going to stop by the booth and just say hi. We chat. And I never played with them again, but it was the point of like Mm -hmm. that memory stayed there. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't believe how much of a connection that was, you know, with, with someone like that, you'd think, Oh, he'd forget in a minute. Like he probably met 30 kids that day and probably 20 people who played better, but that's not what mattered to him. He remembered Mm -hmm. going, Finally, someone gets it. I'm just trying to blues out right now, brother. And that was a really big deal to me. And that's how I met Sean, actually, funny enough, was that actually that NAM. And that's what got me pushing with Tom Anderson and trying Tom Anderson guitars. And from that, I found my favorite guitars that I ever played. And I've been playing Tom Anderson since 2015. So after that, like, it was just like marriage, marriage, marriage made in heaven. But I've tried my first one in 2013. So it was just, uh, yeah, it's, it's so those cool, kind man. of experiences. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's an interesting contrast, right? Because obviously jamming, like playing the blues, is like that's been what <laughs> like that's been the foundation of especially electric guitar for pretty much as long as electric guitar's been around. But it's interesting with your story, it's like, yes, actually in more recent times, the modern guitarist, there probably is a lot of these kids that like sit in their bedroom genting, right? And they could be insanely good, but like, it's almost like, yeah, they're kind of like socially awkward when it comes to playing guitar, you know? What, what, what do you think about that? No, actually, I totally agree. Um, I think that there's... So I have a lot of friends who are prog musicians and gent musicians, and I'll, <laughs> never, I'll never say no to that. But what, you know, so I work a normal day job and at my normal day job, I play all sorts of music for my, my coworkers. I I love using them as a social experiment in what's acceptable (laughs) to people who play instruments. And so, you know, one of the things I recognized with them is I can play, you know, something off powers of 10, or I can play Guthrie to them and they might not know who it is, but they'll be like, dude, this guy can jam and this is really cool. And they'll be able to beat their head the whole song. And I could play the coolest gent song from any band, you know, it could be, and and I'm not saying I don't like that kind of music. There's tons of monument songs and periphery songs. And I'm like, bro, let's go. I'll jump in the pit right now. And uh, (laughs) funny enough, you know, even meeting someone like John Brown in person, I was there when he got endorsed by Mayonnaise. I was there when he first got that because I knew who he was and the owners of Mayonnaise at the time, I I was working for a business that we were in a booth together. So it was like Chris Campbell guitars, which I had worked for. And we were distributing the guitars in America. And then we had Mayonez that was from Poland. And so we're all hanging out at one booth and we have our Chris Campbell guitars and we have like the, all the Mayonez on the other side. And basically like anyone who I knew, they were like, Chris, you're the young guy. Like you got to pull all like the, the, the new players over here. So of course, Polyphia came to hang out. I got the guys from Dillinger Escape Plan over there. I got the guys from like, you know, John Brown and everybody. And John Brown really clicked with the brand before he had the Quatsy signature guitar, that Duvel. Mm. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting to, to, from him is when he plays, if you don't hear everything with all the drums and everything, it's almost like he's strumming an acoustic. 
His wow. playing is actually very, it, it sounds much more natural once you hear it on its own. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that can be production sometimes. Or like when I heard Misha play the first time on his own, it was very fragmented where you're like, okay, this needs to be in a production to, to turn this into, and, that, and that's, no, that's nothing on his playing. He's more abstract. It's like you see the picture on the wall and you're like, I'm not sure what that is. But then when you see 20 pieces by the person, you're like, oh, I get what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Whereas like someone like John Brown, like you heard his playing and you're like, oh, it almost kind of sounds like a guy strumming some like, uh, like he was playing acoustic for like Michael Hedges, like very, very rhythmically. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he would just kind of get cool single notes in there. And on the other hand, like you were saying, guitar players playing in bedrooms versus guitar players who, who jam and things like that. That's what led me and Sean together is we were always wanting to jam. We were always wanting to play. It was something that we wanted music to show up. And uh, dare I say, we let the presence of God in the room. You let, like a lot of writers say, you let the presence of music channel through you and you don't boss it around. You don't, you don't try to do a certain thing. You just notice certain things show up and you go, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you notice there's a tendency to this madness that is people jamming. And um, I think it's one of the best communication ways for musicians ever is to jam. Like you need, like if you don't have a language built between you and the other person, you can send each other stems all day long. Yo, dude, check out this like riff. Okay, cool. Try to drum to it. And the guy's like, all right, it took me three months, but I came up with a part. <laughs> it's like a lot of the bands we listened to that, you know, pushed ele- electric guitar and, and the music that we know is rock forward where people were like, I record the song in a day. Mm. You know, you listen to like, uh, you know, uh, Steve Lukather, one of my favorite, just on the spot, you know, that, that Rick Beato, Steve Lukather interviews, like I could watch that a million times. <laughs> and he's just like, bro, you only had three chances to play it. And if you didn't get it, they basically just kicked you out the room, dude. <laughs> and you know, that standard of playing, not that you should get kicked out the room, but that standard of playing with people is, is so important to building your musicianship and the confidence of your language, where I think that genting again, it's like, you could be like walking up to someone and going, cobalt is the mix of this molecule and this molecule, and it has this many protons and this many neutrons and this many, you know, you know, electrons and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's massive, bro. That's, that's freaking cool. But then the guy goes, why can't I get a girlfriend? You know, and you're like, oh God. <laughs> and then there's a dude who's like, hey, how are you doing? What's your name? <laughs> like, like, what are we really doing here? So I think that <laughs> when you I take that you. context, <laughs> when you take that into context and you, you kind of push it to a place where, you realize that I'm not talking in a normal language. How would anyone really understand me? And though genting is really popular, it's not as popular as it seems. Yeah. Because if sure. you really go on the internet and you watch the people who have the most views, like you, you've heard of the, uh, the artist, uh, she's a female Icelandic Chinese girl, Lafe. Have you heard of her? The jazz? Oh, yeah. the jazz? Uh-huh. Probably one of the most popular musicians in the whole world right now. You know, the whole world or someone like John Mayer in the whole world, like not just not just to like dudes in their bedroom. Mm. And that itself, when you look at something like that, you go look at how basic the music is itself. Like, oh, that's a basic bossa nova. That's nothing crazy. There's nothing at like, you know, too over the top. But her ability to be the musician she is and connect with people and use language and, and a feeling that those understand. And the same thing goes for John Mayer, a feeling that people understand. Mm-hmm. They can really get their ball rolling. And I see a lot of friends who are doing prog stuff and they go, oh man, like no one gets it. The nerdy guitar player thing is never getting more popular. I'm like, well, you just said it. It's nerdy guitar playing, you know, like <laughs> we're getting nerds together and that's what we're going to do. But um, to just be a musician is just to be a musician. And so mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, jamming, 
I think communicating and really having fun with your instrument before worrying, oh, is this like a seven, eight signature? Is it genty enough? Am I doing enough like weird? Mm. And a lot of those people, when they write things and I ask them, how did you write this part? They'll always describe it to me in a very weird way. They'll be like, well, I came up with this chord and you're like, oh, that chord's really pretty actually. That's super cool. And then, and then they'll go, but then I realized it wasn't that technical. So then I did this and then you're like, <laughs> all right. And then, and then I realized that the beat was kind of simple. And then it, there's this whole thing where they're like, yeah. How can I make the easiest thing hard as hell for no reason? And it's <laughs> kind of mind blowing because uh, what's the what's the quote? Being a genius is to make simple thing. I mean, to make uh, complicated things more simple. Like mm-hmm. in, in general, that's a paraphrase of the quote. Mm-hmm. And why are we trying to make this harder? Like, do you want to go on stage and have it be hard as shit to play your song? I mean, one of the things that I talked to Angel about, Angel Vivaldi, really, really, really amazing guitar player, gentleman. Me and Angel have had many conversations, wonderful human being. And one of the, my favorite things that him and I talked about, we got in a, I saw one of his concerts and he's done and we were taking some pictures, we're just joking around. And I'm like, Angel, like, I noticed that the songs that were like kind of what you would consider a ballad on your album, those slapped the freaking hardest, dude, when you were playing live versus you playing kind of some of the songs that have a lot of 16th notes. And he goes, I know, man. He goes, once you start once you start getting kind of fast, man, he's like, this stuff gets kind of messy. He's like, it just, it just doesn't translate the same. He's like, I know on a record where you clean it up and you do low pass filter everything and you get everything all lined up. He's like, it sounds great. And what did you notice about his music direction that he's taking now? This really organic, beautiful, like trying to get those fusion, the Latin, like the Latin background that he's pulling into his music. The fact that he's from the East coast and Latin culture is so important over there. And he's, and he's incorporating that from his background, from the backgrounds that he's around. It's like, dude, that is so badass. And like, mm-hmm. and really at the end of the day, his music is received even more on a higher level just mm-hmm. due to the nature of now how he's writing and mm-hmm. his, his success is even, even further. Like, you know, he's, he's more out of the progressive metal scene and more into just playing music and, and helping people yeah. become artists. And it's just, again, your original question, do you want a gent? And you're kind of stuck in a bedroom and you're almost kind of like feeling spectrumish, like, Oh God, I don't know how to talk to people. Like, and then you got these people who can jam and just keep it going. I mean, we all know the truth. You got to be able to jam a little bit and you probably got to be able to be technical a little bit. You probably got to have a little bit of both to really hundred percent be honest, to really balance yourself out. Mm. I'm with you, man. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And again, it, you know, goes back into this thing of the thing about authentic expression, sort of the opposite or you said about letting God into the room, you know, this feeling when you're channeling music, you know, which is really cool. I love, I love it when people talk about that, especially I often get it with singers. When I speak to singers, they'll talk about how they go to like write lyrics or whatever, and they just get into the room and, and just channel what comes out. And I think that it's so awesome, people that get really in tune with that. And it's the opposite approach when you try and do everything very rationally. You try and like think and you, as if you feel like you're in control, like I am creating this thing and I'm going to make this crazy drum part as opposed to, you know, it's almost kind of like more egocentric than you kind of have to have almost like a death of ego. Like you completely let go when you're channeling. So yeah, something like that. (laughs) That's actually really interesting. You say that specifically the death of ego, you know, I think some of the people who've been the farthest enlightened that, you know, seem the most enlightened, whether it's through (laughs) drug induced (laughs) ego death, or it's um, ego death through narcissistic death, 
you know, like through the fact that you realize that you're not the whole soul center of the freaking universe. Mm -hmm. That experience in the mind, I think is one of the most important if you really want to touch people with music. I think some people are born with that ego death, maybe uh, what's maybe what we call an old soul might be somebody who already had that happen. Maybe they've already spiritually have lived that in another life mm. and they get born into this life and they have this very basic, beautiful point of view that like everything's just about being in the moment and doing what you're supposed to do. Mm. And some people might have younger spirits where, you know, when you're a kid and you play with toys, you control your toys, you control what's going on. You control the, 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 the narrative. you Hey man, and you have your two action figures or the girls with their little Barbies and they're, I don't want to do the dishes. Well, you'll do the dishes or whatever. I don't, maybe you can do whatever. Or they can have their own little own tea party and they're like, little monkey, you're not getting tea, whatever. That is control. <laughs> and I think when you can let go of that control and you can realize, man, I really almost have like n- no, no real say in this. Mm-hmm. Like it could literally, like a fireball could just hit the earth right now. It's over. Mm-hmm. But it's not about being negative about it. It's about realizing all the time I have, I should be using for the things that I can utilize it for and I can be a part of. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to, you know, you're in a band with somebody and you think your idea is better. You're like, oh, dude, what idea are they playing? I've, I've been, you know, my dad, you know, the first time I saw the movie Purple Rain. Mm. Have you ever seen the movie Purple Rain ever? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. No, I just want to just, just as a reference. But so Prince's character, you know, he's trying to control all the music. He's telling everyone what they can and can't play. And remember, the two girls come up with the song that becomes Purple Rain. And he's like, yeah. I don't care. I ran over the, the, the tape with my bike, right? And he's like, not about it. So I was, I was, I must have been 14 and I had a friend named Renee, you know, and Renee was awesome. He was a really good guitar player, but he really admired me. He just wanted to play guitar together. Hmm. And I remember he's like showing me these guitar parts and I'm in my room, just like berating him. Not like, like saying bad names to him or anything like that, but I'm just like, no dude, like this riff needs to go like this. This is not how Jimmy Eat World would write this. And I'm like on this freaking trip and I'm like 14 and he's 14 too. And like, we're both in eighth grade or something. But the whole point was like make music together. And this guy's yeah. bringing ideas forward. And I'm like, you know how it is when you've brought ideas forward, you feel naked. You feel like just straight up like, yo, I'm showing you this. Like, you know, take it as you will. Like if you guys don't think this is the best idea, but we can modulate it, we can work on it. But at the same time, I really like how this feels for me. Mm-hmm. I like how this feels to play this myself. And that's why I showed you guys. And if you like me as a person and you enjoy my company and my playing, you would understand how, like, why this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the tribe is so important is finding those people who can see that in you and help you develop, whether it's like, okay, Chris, like this riff is perfect. And I, you know, cause I'm left-handed and I play right-handed. I oh. like for me, rhythm was a kind of like, at first was like one of those things where I was like, oh, like a stumbling block. Like it would be like, oh, cool. Like I'm on, I'm on time for like these two measures. And then I'd hear like a drum roll and that would just like mess with my whole head. I couldn't count through the drum roll. I'd be shattered. Like by the time the chorus comes, I'm like, a beat early or a beat late. And I would come up with these guitar parts that kind of like, you could tell that I would make them so that I could kind of circumvent the fact that there'd be a drum roll or I could like kind of deal with it in a way that like I wouldn't make the mistake there. And one of the things that I think was really awesome about playing with Sean is it's not that I still had like this rhythm problem to that extent. By the time I got older, I, I had nailed a lot of those things out, but he would show me really cool ways to work around things that were weird for me. He'd be like, oh, dude, check this out. Like, you could do this, and this will work around this. Um, you know, uh, what Sean really dealt with me, I don't know if you guys can see, but there's a, my hand went through a window, 
and I had, I, I pretty much lost two fingers. These two fingers were cut off from, from this knuckle down. They, they basically were flailing off. I had a, a freak accident where my hand went through a window at a 45 degree angle and the plane of glass went into my palm. Long story short, it was all bad for a minute and it took years to heal that. And, um, Sean was kind of dealing with me at the tail end of like kind of getting all my nerve levels back together and like my stamina. But what Sean really liked about my playing is he's like, I feel every note you play. He's like, when you play, there's a certain vibe. He's like that, you know, that someone else just doesn't have. And he's like, I'm very aware of that. So he would show me how to work around certain things, or he would show me how to, how to kind of fix tension in my body. He'd be, oh, hold your arm this way. And he's like, I know that that's your dominant arm. So he's like, you're really strong with this arm for writing, but he's like, you kind of need to loosen up here. And he's like, normally when people play their rhythm hand is their strong hand. So my rhythm hand was weaker because it was my right hand. So you kind of always give me little things that I could do and slowly, but surely. And over time, all those things cleaned up. And I think one of the really important things was he was able to see that in me, help me kind of work out of that. And as I worked out of that, I was able to get like music that could fulfill that space correctly and showing ideas to him became better and better and better and working on those things kind of became better and better and better. And it allowed me to really be free. And like we were just talking about a few moments ago and let the energy of what I'm trying to hear be there rather than controlling it. Cause, mm-hmm. cause there's such a nature of wanting to be like, well, I want to alternate pick this part and then go into this part and wouldn't it be like super cool if we went into like this like solo section? But when I think about it like that, it's never, it's never, once it's recorded, it's never really what I want. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it's not good because anything actually can be good. You can actually come up with any idea and make it good. But like what fits you as a person becomes very, it's, it's, it's a very interesting journey. Like, like, like we were saying, we, we want to control things so much that every time you let go of control, you come up with something, but there's that weird little, I don't know if it, you would call it a devil on your shoulder or if you would call it um, the alter part of our consciousness, but it's like, no one's going to like this. No one's going to see it the same way that you do. But the truth is, is if you feel it, they already like it. Mm-hmm. Cause those who are going to like it are going to jump right on that train. I have guitar players who follow me who I'm like, I can't believe this guy follows me. Like, like to me, in my opinion of what they play and what they do. But when you speak to them later, maybe a DM will come up one day, maybe a thing will come out where you end up chatting and they go, by the way, I always, always wanted to say like, your hand tone is amazing. Or, or I always wanted to say like, there's this one post you put up and that's why I followed you. And it was just like, just keep it up, bro. Like I, I see something that is very similar to this player in you or something. And I think once I get to that point that I can see that those people of that caliber can see something in me, mm. it's not about their validation, but it's about, wow, I've really been missing the point of what I do. Mm. Like, you know, their validation is, oh, that's great. You know, of course, as a person, I love a compliment. That's no problem. But the real further point is, is like understanding, wow, people see something great in different people. Mm-hmm. And that's part of letting that energy into the room that says, you're going to write this and you can try to do a thousand different things. But this one thing that you wrote, it sounds so great to you for a reason. And there's mm-hmm. a reason that you're following this path. Even if it's weird, if it's a weird path, that makes it even more your job to follow it because no one else is doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's your job to follow the dragon into the lair and either slay that dragon because you can't tame it or come out riding that dragon. Mm-hmm. But you're not coming out dying from the dragon. That's for sure. 
You, but you either got to slay it or you got to, you got to ride it out. So if it's a demon that you're, what you're dealing with is like, I can't let myself let control go, then you might need to find a way that, okay, I have a control problem. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> yeah. to learn to ride that, that I'm going to learn to ride the wave of inspiration to the highest level I can and ride that dragon out and just realize you're trying to control a dragon because you still have, you still have some control problems or you could learn to slay it and walk out and go, there's nothing that I'm afraid of in that cave anymore. And that cave is full of control and it's full of self doubt. Mm -hmm. And you just, I think a lot of people suffer from that. And that's one of the reasons that I do the podcast that I do is to help people with one of the hardest things about being smart is you're going to do that to yourself more. Mm-hmm. Like people who are intelligent yeah. tend to tend to talk themselves out of all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. The most confident people I know are again those people. Like I said, they they might have been born, maybe they have an old spirit, and they're just like, "Hey, man, I just take it as it is." And it's like, "Geez, I'm so jealous of that person. How can they just take things <laughs> yeah. just as it is?" Where many of us should spend a lot of our time questioning every little step, just because of how smart we are, and we just we can just kind of find all these little weird things to just be weirded out by. Man, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I know, yeah, I know I can can relate to that, man. And that That's a big part of the journey is like, yeah, you have to try and wrestle with yourself to get over these inhibitions, man. Because it's like, as you say, if you are intelligent, then there's good potential there for you. But you are going to be your own worst enemy in the meantime. <laughs> How do you think? So if, if somebody is struggling with that, say, say that they're trying to control the drug, the dragon and you're realizing you have a control problem and that's that's in your way how how would you go about <laughs> healing that <laughs> i think there's a few ways i think that if you're a gent lord and you're in your room and you're just programming drums to death and you've got these like little beats figured out and stuff that's great that's awesome actually those drums were probably not easy to program and it probably wasn't easy to figure out all the little different things that you're doing, whether it's like little weird pick rakes and little like clicking sounds to kind of keep the, to keep that super crazy rhythm going. Or even as much as someone who's just, just shredding, you're like, dude, I've got every scale in my mind. But the question is, if someone pulls out a one chord band, someone pulls out C7 and they play it and it's just like, bro, this is one chord. Can you hang on that? Can you make that count? So I think one of the things is, is to learn how many ways you actually know to do something that's simple. Um, for me, one of my favorites is, is playing along with like pop songs. And if I play along with pink for long enough, you know, I could play along with pink, pink and Mariah Carey and Tony Braxton. And if you play along with those kinds of songs, maybe nothing's horribly difficult in the, the singing lines. Mm. But once you learn how to make something that simple feel so good and you see the reaction of people around you, of like letting go of like, okay, I need to shred. I need to shred. I need everyone to know. Like when I show up at the guitar store, I'm the kind of, not me, but if you're mentally the kind of person who's like, I'm going to pick up a guitar, turn on the amp, and I want everyone to want to put their guitar down. That's a, that's a very, I get it. You want to be the best, but that's a very negative way to connect with other musicians. Mm. There's nothing cooler than a guy who plays something really awesome and really great at the store and everyone shows up at the store. And I've been fortunate to sometimes be this person at the guitar store. You're, you're playing and everyone's just like, they come up with a guitar and they go, how do you do that? And then there's times where I've been fortunate enough at the guitar center in San Jose, I have four people plugged into amps around me and I'm like giving a lesson in the lobby and they're like, you're not allowed to give lessons here. I'm like, oh, sorry. Like, 
we were just like kind of talking. And Ben and I, we're, we're very similar in that we go out together sometimes and we'll just jam and we'll just have a group of people show up. And they're all That's like, cool. wait, you guys play together? What's going on? Like, I've been looking to start a band with somebody, but I don't know anybody. And they start going through all their little, their little kind of what's insecure in them, but in a place where they feel very open to put it out. Mm. And I think that if you can learn that your playing is already inspiring to people and that if you learn to relinquish control, you're getting the most control because the ideas that are going to come from above you, like and you can make it whatever. You can just make it your connection to the universe. Who cares? But mm. the ideas that come from like the esoteric level, they're stronger than the ones that you can just make up as a person by yourself. Mm-hmm. Whether that's just hearing a sound like, you know, I really love Andy McKee, like the acoustic player, because he'll be like, I heard the garbage truck outside and it was humming and I tuned my guitar to the humming sound of the thing. And look what I came up with. The world is your oyster actually. Mm. And if you learn to let that be your aphrodisiac is just the world being your oyster to learn that your life is a freaking story. And people actually, if a story is told right, people want to hear it. People are actually very interested in what someone's been through when it's told in a fun, unique, and different way. I don't know anybody who wants spaghetti every night for dinner. So if it's like, yo, you guys are playing really good guitar, but if I put 10 of you guitar players in a row and all starts to sound the same, Mm -hmm. it's not that you did anything wrong. You guys hit a benchmark of performance that, hey, we can all kind of play similar things. But is that benchmark the definition of you as a person? I really hope not. So I think the biggest thing is learning to let go through utilizing, whether it's a backing track, whether it's playing with someone who has a completely different skill set, like you're like, I'm playing with this acoustic player and they're actually a singer songwriter. My genting doesn't matter now. Mm-hmm. Like that's null and void. Like the whole seventh string on my guitar, just rip it off because now I got to come up with things that complement this person. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we work with people and when we play with people and we're not too, we're not in a room just creating a narrative of our own. It forces you to play different things. I think. The, my first really, really big gig I ever played was on bass, which is funny because, again, I told you bass is too big for me. I grew up, I can play a bass now. And um, my first one that I was like, oh man, there's like a lot of people in the audience wasn't on guitar. But that took a lot of me sucking myself down at the time because I was like, damn, is the, is the bass a downgrade? Heck no, it isn't. The bass is almost an upgrade because you get to play like right when you stop playing, right when the bass player stops playing, you know how a band sounds. It's like, bro, what happened? Yeah, the guitar yeah. sounds wild thin. And I realized, wow, there's so much power in every role. Mm-hmm. And that role isn't always having to be the lead guitar player or the lead writer or the lead person who's constructing, you know, you know, arranging the song. There's such a place for someone who can just jump in and find their place. Because to the songwriter, they're like, wow, you added that missing element. Wow, you really brought that one thing. And they're more thankful than you probably know, you know, because mm. that's what the music's all about. It's about us as human beings, be able to come together in a language that's just outside ourselves, but everyone speaks it. I don't mm. need, I've met Brazilian dudes who have jammed with them. I'm like, bro, we can't even talk, mm-hmm. but they go, Hey bro, bro. And then they'll do like a chord thing. Like, bro, we, this one. And you're like, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then they'll play it and you might be soloing. And then they're kind of like, can you, can you, Bro, and then you start playing their rhythm part and they go, yeah. And then, then they can kind of play along and you realize, well, we don't even need to know anything. Yeah. We get, we get to enjoy and, and at the end of the day, it's like, boom, bro, you're my bro. I totally know you understood what I meant. Next time I see you, like, I'll probably ask you to come jam. 
And then the next day you're over there. Um, one person who I met like that was uh, Leonardo Guzman. And he's an incredible player. And if you don't know who he is, I'll send you some music later from him. Awesome. And uh, he is like Latin jazz. He, he's almost like that uh, Ma, Mateo Mancuso, like the guy who plays with like, the finger style. Like we're just mm-hmm. like the electric finger style where it's like so crazy. This guy's like that good. And he was just like, bro, bro. And when I met him and it was just like very like limited like connection. But once we started playing, it was just silly good, man. Like, yeah. And you just realize the next day I see him and he's on a stage and he's playing with Tom Quayle, bro. <laughs> what? Wow. What are you talking about? And so it's like, oh, I played with that guy yesterday. Sick. And we had fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and it really, again, it always comes back down to that. When I met Sean, it was just Sean coming up and he came to the Mayonez booth and he's like, yo, what's up? I've heard about Chris Campbell's strings. And like, I heard that he's, he's doing endorsements for strings and he has his, his first, he has like the first actual, I think, production tom anderson angel the koa one it's on his back and he goes he goes yo like you you're like super chill dude like blah blah, blah. we end up in a conversation he goes you want to try out my guitar and he's like check out this guitar i have all these things i like about it and i said i said the same thing back to him i'm like well i like all these things about mayonnaise and he's like that's awesome and he goes he goes uh later two years later we're, we're sitting there we're talking and he goes you know what really connected me to you is he's like you were just juiced on the guitar you were playing and he's like i was so juiced on the guitar i was playing and he was like he was like we just kind of like jammed off that like just being juiced on what we had it wasn't that we had to have the same thing mm-hmm. he's like your skill set my skill set are totally different because sean is like dude he was like he, like he, from birth i swear to god this guy was just like playing like yes and like rush and like like it's amazing dude because i just love his skill set but long story short to be able to have played with him for several years after that, you know, I played rhythm guitar and lead guitar with him um, for the Anderson booths. We did shows together. We did things together. Um, he's helped me write some of my songs, uh, Breathe the Life, like uh, I wrote when I was hanging out with Sean. So this song's like three years old, four years old. So it's really going to be great to see this, see the light. And, you know, but all that came from just being in a room, enjoying other people, letting control go. You're not going to find that. You're going to find yourself in a room again. And you're going to find yourself without a drummer, without a bass player and not on stage. And I would really hope that the generation of musicians who come from what we've learned with Instagram and stuff will find, I actually like being on stage better than I like being in my bedroom. I mean, I understand there's a place and time we got to, technology has allowed it that we can do things on our own and you should, but I really hope that our current the, the kids coming now, the people who started playing guitar during COVID, all the people who started doing things during any time. I hope you find in your soul to like use this time to be on stage and feel what it feels like when you're like, you know, if you ever played and you walk off and you're like, wow, that person's crying. And you're like, you're like, are you okay? And they're like, no, I just, every note you played, I felt it. For me, that's, that's, uh, I don't have that very often. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you not want to share that with another person? I don't know. To me, that's just impossible. You have to. Amazing, man. Amazing. It's, it's, yeah, there's, there's this theme <clears throat> that you have about, uh, just music as communication. And, and I just, it's a theme that I absolutely love, man. Um, because it's, it's communication on a whole other level. You can really connect with people in, in such a visceral way and in a way that just words are not good enough, <laughs> to, you know, for. So I, I, I love how you describe that. And um, I mean, I think that obviously 
people listening now can obviously get a fair taste for, um, you know, your kind of approach to things and the, and, and the kind of things that you like to talk about. Um, but of course you have your podcast toned and toneful where you discuss a lot of topics like this. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, mentioned as well. I'm, I'm personally a huge fan of the podcast. I've listened to pretty much all of the episodes actually, <laughs> believe it or not. And especially all of the ones, the new ones that come out. Um, and I, I like to, I think of them as like sort of topical meditations in a way, because they're, they're generally solo podcasts that you do. Right. And, um, and yeah, you, you know, you're so you're so good at it. It seems like you do it as kind of a fairly stream of conscious type type of thing, which I suppose, from what we've discussed, sorry, um, in in how you're approaching music and stuff, that that really uh, is is akin to your approach. Um, but for you know, for people that might be curious, um, what what would you say? What's what? is the premise of toned and toneful and and the kind of philosophy you have there and what kind of topics do you like to focus on toned and toneful started because uh i went through a horrible bike accident last year on fourth of july july uh, 2022 mm. um i went and bought a new bike uh, i ride a bike as like my way of getting around i have a wonderful job that i could afford more than a bike i just love being in the world so i love riding around i love road bikes and so um I've got this new bike, I'm riding home and I get in an accident where um, my hand gets injured really badly. Uh, long story short, dislocated a finger, ripped open, two bones were sticking out. Again, I cut my hand before, now this is the yeah. same, all bad. I, and I'm sitting there in the hospital thinking, like, will I ever really play guitar anymore? Like, this is like starting to get to the point where you're getting injured enough where you're like, okay, this is another one. And I had sat around um, with a friend of mine, a close friend of mine. Uh, you might know her, Yvette Young from Covet. And we were, cool. we were at a dinner and I had talked to her about uh, doing a, a podcast at some point. Uh, me and her have had like such genuine conversations that were so wonderful that it kind of got in my mindset that, you know, I'm like, I got to like talk about this because the... I had spoken a little earlier about being kind of trapped by perfectionism after my first couple of years at NAM, And then now I kind of, that mindset I ended up in, which wasn't very good. And I talked to her about it and she's like, ah, oh, you don't need to be living your life that way. She's like, you know, she's like, that's not even the kind of person you are. And then um, at the first she's like, you know, you should call it because I work out a lot. She was like, you should call it tones and toned. And I was like, <laughs> all right. And so it was like, kind of like, kind of like a funny joke. And so a year goes by and I get hurt in this accident. And I'm like, what better opportunity than now mm -hmm. to start something up that is actually talking about these things that I've been wanting to talk about. And so what are the things that I wanted to talk about? Um, a lot of them were very interesting. I wanted to be able to speak on perfectionism and how that is honestly a tool of destruction. Like mm -hmm. uh, being a perfectionist doesn't do anyone any good. It ruins relationships, it ruins your productivity, and it ruins your view of yourself, which is actually one of the worst things you can do is erode your own view of who you are as a person spiritually. So the first couple episodes were kind of based on how, you know, that having that mindset will hold you back. And then 
it slowly progressed into talking about kind of like, cause as I was going through it, some physical therapy things to start talking about healing your hands on guitar, just talking to people about strengthening their fingers. And then slowly after that, it kind of became like, you know, a lot of people, if you see me in person, a lot of people will be like, well, they'll, they'll associate me. I look like a bodybuilder in person. I'm very, very, like I try to try to be really, really, really fit. So a lot of people will always be like, dude, what's your diet? Or dude, like, what are you doing for your arms? Or dude, like what's going on with your shoulders? Like, how do I, how do I do these workouts? And so I was always really into helping people. I would get in crazy long conversations with people. And I was like, why don't I use this as toned and toneful? You know, you're going to be a, to be a toneful person is to be in alignment with harmony and to be toned is to be in alignment with your body. And it kind of came down to a point where I realized that the binding point of physical alignment and musical alignment is spiritual alignment. Spirituality is a really big subject for me because for some people that might be religion. But I don't view religion as spirituality. I view spiritual. I view religion as following rules. Mm-hmm. So, like, where where I look at like people who are very religious, they follow like a set of rules very hard, and, and it's, it's like these are guidelines for life. Where spirituality is understanding that every battle that you face in life or everything that you come across kind of starts in the spirit and works its way out. If you're dealing with a lot of people in your life who are mean, you might want to ask the question: the only thing that they have in common is me. Or whatever you're dealing with in life, the only thing that it has in common is you. Mm-hmm. So if you're experiencing a lot of good things, there must be something that you're onto. If you're experiencing a lot of bad things, there might be some things you might want to look at and think about. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things in Toned and Toneful is, is taking a look at the elements in spirituality that could build your musical or your physical health. So things that we talk about are storytelling. Mm-hmm. If you're not good at telling a story, you're not going to really be the best musician you could be. It's just, that's just a fact. How could you write a song if you couldn't tell a story? Because music all comes from something, whether that's pain, whether that's the understanding of something, or whether that's just having a grand old good time. It could be about anything. You know, like you listen to a Van Halen song and they're still telling you a story. story. It's about a party. They're talking about a party they went to. But in the funny way that they describe it, the little elements that they bring up, mm-hmm. it's really crazy. Like the song Dancing the, Dance the Night Away from Van Halen. You listen to the song and it, it starts off with the riff and like, like, the riff already sounds like a party riff. And then as it gets into the song, he's talking about, I saw this girl, she's super pretty. I'm trying to dance with her. Like if anything, like we're old enough to have fun, girl. Like, are you trying to, trying to hang out tonight? And it's like, well, he's telling a really funny story of like, not funny, but he's telling a story in a very fun way about meeting a woman and wanting to just be in that moment with her. Whereas you can listen to Sade and Sade is talking about, Hey, like, no ordinary love is like, I gave you all the love I got. I gave you all I could give. Mm-hmm. I gave you love, but you still want more in a way. And her talking about that, but they're all stories. You can go to ACDC and you can go through their songs. They've got stories in there. You go into Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, one of the most popular songs in the world. He's talking about a lady trying to buy the Stairway to Heaven and all the levels that she has to go through to understand what it is to actually be on the Stairway to Heaven. Mm-hmm. It's really, really crazy in that way because all songs have that. Even if it's instrumental, even if it's instrumental, you can look at something like you work with uh, like a lot of really talented people who are like have that opera-esque voice. Mm-hmm. Opera is the king slash queen of storylands, like mm-hmm. stories of of love, and then then you betrayed me, and then now I have to now I'm I'm going to go on this to kill the other guy who you loved or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. and it's like this is a drama. And I think that like storytelling, like I have an episode that talks about storytelling, but one of the episodes that precursors that is one that talks about journaling. 
mm-hmm. and how when we journal, we actually are learning to write stories. Some people are not very good at telling stories. They might have a hard time speaking. Some people might, they have the idea of what they want, but it's hard for them to get it out. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is wonderful about journaling is, hey, if you learn to, if you learn to slowly do that every day, eventually you're kind of learning that there's a channel to outpour. It's not even about what you wrote. Because mm-hmm. one day you'll look at that and go, this is ridiculous. And that's fine. It's fine to look back at something you did and go, eh, that's kind of funny you know, or ridiculous. Like, can't believe I did that at that time. But the progression of what you got out of that is, is I'm pretty sure like the style you have now, you look, you look like, you know, that conservative casual, nice shirt with the paisley or looks like, or like some, some nice ribboning going on. And if you take that style, I'm pretty sure if you go back far enough in your life, you're like, oh, there was something silly that kind of led to me looking more suave the way I do or looking better the way I do. Or there was a point in my style that it wasn't this yet, but I knew I kind of wanted to look like this as an adult. Mm-hmm. And that same thing goes to me, you know, like the way my guitar sounds. You know, I've gone through 30, 40 guitars to get to that. So it's about connecting spirituality in a way that goes, I understand that inside of us, there's a perfectionist, perfectionist for all of us, but we must learn to slay that dragon. I understand that in all of us, there is a vulnerability in telling our story, but we must tell that story. It is our duty. It is your story. And it is your duty to put that story somehow in the world. And art can be all sorts of things. And in, in, in Tone to Toneful, we do speak on people who play either other instruments or maybe who are, who are artists that are visual artists or who are artists in dancing. But whatever it is that you put forward, it is your duty to make sure that your story has conviction and is presented to the world because there is someone like you or there is someone who looks up to you who needs that to push their story forward. The worst thing that I think could happen is we all become robots who walk around on our phone and put an update of what we ate for dinner and then put an update of the new thing we bought. Cool. That's awesome. But that doesn't tell your story. Mm-hmm. That's why your, your podcast is so cool specifically because you go through stories with people like even just hearing the last one about how they built the studio in the basement and they, they get like all going through all these tries. And then, you know, the guitar players, you know, grandma was the piano teacher and just like all that stuff, like, you know, and just, just thinking of those things, like these stories, you go, I know why they are the way they are, or I respect what came out of that story. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, tone and tone, we talk about journaling, we talk about storytelling, we talk about why you should never lie. Cause lying is lying is the ultimate form of not recognizing your story. It's the ultimate form of, of living a false story. And what worse than to walk around and have to live a fake story, you know? Mm-hmm. And we talk about, we, we, these even went on monk mode, but it's not so much like the current, you know, monk mode that everyone's like, oh, like don't have a girlfriend and don't care. It's, it's talking about, we all end up in a place at one point where a lot of our friends are busy or we all end up in a place where we're alone. Mm-hmm. But that aloneness isn't the worst thing. That is the chance for us to build our tribe. That mm-hmm. is our chance for us to self-reflect. And self-reflection is a very big subject in itself. How you view yourself, how you learn to positively view yourself, how you learn to interject that into the world and go, okay, I see what I'm trying to do and that's not exactly working for me in the world. How can I take the feedback that the world is just giving me in general, whether it's, I talked to this person over here, I talked to this person over here, but no one wanted to talk to me. Was it because I came on too strong? Was it because I came this way? But it's the way that you can think of these things and develop the skill set to be the ultimate musician. The ultimate musician is probably someone who's charismatic, someone Mm -hmm. who can tell story, someone who's physically fit to endure the instrument, 
I mean, if you're a drummer, you can't be a weak dude or a weak, weak woman. You gotta, you gotta be like slapping that stuff. If you're uh, in the marching band and you play the the tuba, you gotta hold that thing up. Or you, you know, you play a, a tenor saxophone. I, I put one of those on my thumb, and like I felt like my thumb was gonna break off in like ten minutes. But <laughs> yeah, tenor saxophone is not a light instrument. Mm-hmm. And so these these developments are just to create a very well rounded musician who sees themselves in a positive light and who can offer themselves to to the world itself and the world's ready to accept them. Mm. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's literally like, so it's, it's a holistic approach. As you say, it's kind of like, yeah, mind, body, spirit, all in one, but through the lens of being a creator. And as you say, you do leave it a bit more open and, and be inclusive to, you know, other kinds of artists as well. But obviously with a lot of focus on, uh, you know, musicians and um you know you talk about guitars and things like that as well so you know for somebody like me um that that's so cool because yeah i think as you say it's one thing to be good at music or 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 what you do but we're all human beings and there's a lot more to to it like it it, you have to really have a holistic approach if you want a well-balanced life in general which is hopefully what all of us want you know um and so, so I love it. And, and it's the fact that you do it so topically, it's, it's so cool. Cause I remember when I first went and checked out your podcast, um, I, I will quickly say as well, one, one of the things that got to me is like, you know, I really liked you as a guy and I saw those clips and thought this seemed, this seems cool. And I saw you play guitar and thought this guy's really good at guitar. And it was actually when I saw like your bodybuilding stuff, which obviously um, if people watching the video right now, you know, you're being modest, wearing a hoodie and all of that. But like, if, if, if they check out like um, some of the stuff you have on Instagram and things like that, like, I mean, you really put a lot into that. And that impressed me a lot just because mostly just because I think, okay, this is, this is a guy that is really uh, dedicated to, life you know like personal development like really getting at it in life not just one kind of thing and so that so that i was like okay yeah yeah, i really need to go check out the podcast and then when i did i'm scrolling through the topics and i'm thinking like oh this topic yeah that's cool i want i want to watch this one you know Uh, oh and this one and this one and that's why as i say i ended up kind of like binging them all and then just like you know watching them all as they come out um because of that but i do find that because you focus on specific topics like that, certain ones are really good for certain times. And, and like, I can even come back to, um, which is really cool. As I say, kind of like a topical meditation as it were. And, um, yeah, I like, I guess different things will be applicable to different people, but, but you cover a lot of ground. I think. And, and I think that really anybody that is sort of into, especially being music, a musician or an artist, but also thinking in a, into sort of personal development and such, you know, I think that you provide so much value in, um, in, in what you do with, with the show. Thank you for that. I mean, uh, the, the aim is for people just like you and I, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's for people who are intelligent. It's for people who are maybe caught in different stages of their level of acceptance of their self or levels of acceptance of their creativity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even, even as simple as body stuff, you know, I've, I've, you know, a lot of people I've talked to, you know, over, over time about 
you know, working out or working out uh, diets for them. You know, I've written, you know, diets for different people who come to the channel and we've talked and, you know, I've even had certain people, you know, they'll send me update photos of how they're working out and made significant changes where you're like, <laughs> Jesus, guy's catching up to me, man. But in a good way, I want them to catch up. I don't want to live my life in a space alone where um, people aren't recognizing that their life is so beautiful on many facets. Um, it's, it's so easy to say, hey, productivity is the most important thing or views are the most important thing or, or um, just having lots of money is the most important thing. But if you get enough of any one of those, and it really starts losing its effect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I've had jobs, you know, right now I have a job that I make, I make decent and to the point where it's what I don't need. And it, you know, it's kept me busier than I planned on. And, uh, you know, it put me in a whole new learning spin because I've been busier with work that, well, at the same time, it, it's productive for other people and it's productive for a lot of things. It did take a lot of the focus that I have on my personal mission. And I think a lot of people even get stuck in situations like that. You know, a lot of people, a lot of musicians will be like, oh, cool, I'll get this day job. And don't worry, soon enough, when I save enough money, I'll be playing guitar. Mm. Seven years goes by. But now you're in debt for a car that, you know, is just as expensive enough that you need to keep the job. Mm. Now you've bought three more guitars because every three months you buy a new guitar because... Hey, I'm, I'm going to play, you know, mm -hmm. play for a week. And then you get caught up with deadlines and you get caught up in stuff. And it's really a lesson for me. I think part of Tone and Toneful is not even, like you said, it's a, it's a, a meditation in the sense that every one of them is recorded in one go. Never, never planned. There's no, like, I have the subject. I have like literally a post that I'll say, you know, like, uh, you have many reasons to be happy. Why aren't you happy? Right. I'll write that on a post it and I'll be like, damn. Mm -hmm. And I'll go into it from there. I'll just, just, cause there's so many things in life that I've been fortunate to go through that I could share with people because I have always lived life. I've never been one of those people who did like, how long can I stay on the computer and just be behind a computer? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, Tone and Toneful has made it not only, you know, a very touching place for me in the sense of uh, being able to meet an individual like you, for example, who's, reaches their hand out and, and says, Hey, you know, anything I can assist in. And there's other people who reach out and go, Hey, what is it that you might need? Um, and that community is going to be the reason why I'll be able to do what I want to do. In life. Mm -hmm. And what I aim to do is always provide value for those who are around me whether that's musical or whether that's just through support or providing a video that I've, I learned something about and go, Hey, can I save you from this, this same pain? Mm -hmm. Cause I think one of the most genuine things you could do is put yourself out vulnerably to save somebody else that, or to provide them a reference to maybe, wow, I don't need to do that the same way. Cause when we have children, right? If we were to have children, you wouldn't want them to live all the same pains you did. You, you would try to try to help them navigate that. Mm -hmm. And in that way, I want to navigate outwardly to those who are already on their way and doing such a good job. There's so many musicians out there. I know just literally don't put songs out. 
why don't you put the song out? Oh, you know, like the drums don't sound good enough. Okay, well, what would the perfect drum sound like? Well, it would sound like this and this and this. And in your head, you're like, well, it won't be capable for you to get that on this song. So why don't you just put your song out? And then the next song, you can like get closer to that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, next time, try to hire the drummer that you said that you love so much. Maybe put out and write another really cool song. Go, hey, like, you know, if I sent this to you and and maybe it'll cost a fee or whatever, but that fee is nothing compared to you having your envisioning finished. It's, it's always about providing value because at the end of the day, one day I'm gone one day, like I'm not here, but that doesn't matter because the messages that get put out by people who are important, they live longer than they do. And so that's really the whole aim is to put together something where people could go and listen to someone speaking very genuinely, not a bunch of side music, not a bunch of subscribe to me. I'm not, you know, every five minutes, please subscribe to me, please do this. Like, share with all your friends like 30 times in the middle of the video and then three commercials come on. You're like, bro, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to listen to this, this, this information. And you got me on like a commercial streak or you got me on this, you know, I look at a lot of what's out there now and it's not a ton of stuff that's just genuine. And so that's the one thing I I always want to be like, uh, I don't need to be the richest guy. I don't need to have the most accolades. Like I don't need the most fame. And, um, I just really like knowing that what I saw that I thought was really cool in life, it just happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And so whether that's getting to spend some awesome time with someone like you, whether that's recording some music and getting to uh, go, wow, man, that, you know, that, that really hit me and then put it out and just have someone say the same thing, just, just for it to hit them. Like maybe I'll never hear from them. That's fine too. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's some person riding around on their bike too, going, I can't believe this guy rides a bike too. And I'm like, I'm riding a bike and I play guitar and like, I'm trying to do this right now. Mm-hmm. or maybe you know like uh i hear from people a lot like oh man like the tone on this is like something i've been aiming for Did, can you just tell me kind of how you got this tone and you're like maybe if they have their tone together maybe they'll just put out their album maybe if they have this they'll do their thing mm-hmm. and uh i just like seeing around people around me win uh i've always i've always been in positions in life where i've been fortunate enough to be able to live that mission it's just watch other people win and mm-hmm. help them win and then in, in, in my own way, I'm just winning alongside them. I've never felt um, like I was like the almost person because like I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what Tone to Tone Fools for. It's, it's for people to strengthen their self. And once they do, hopefully the next level that they get to go to, the next level that they get to be is just a, a version of their self they get to enjoy more. I would like to think that, that when they wake up in the morning and, and if they approach some of the things that were tough, they'd go, I love being me. I love playing guitar the way that I do. I know that I bring something weird to this world. And that weird thing is, that's my cool story. And I love telling my story. And I love connecting with people. And if that means that 20 more music venues open in a year, because people kept playing shows and then people were like, actually there's money in having shows again. That's a win. I might not see it as anything I did. It might not be solely because of me. It could be because of me. It could be because of multiple people doing the same thing, but I would like to, to see people just get people inspired and not, um, I don't know. I'm just always, I'm always like, I'm like the world's cheerleader. How about that? I'm like, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, where I'm at. I love it, man. I love it. It's, it's, a fantastic ethos. I, you know, I share it a lot as well, man. I think it's the way to be like, um, to, to 
give out that positive energy like you do and and support to others and such man like yeah the world can only uh, benefit from more of that you know and so as you say it's it's the ripple effect again right like you know it's not about the direct metrics on on any given thing it's it's the fact that yeah you might put something out and that affects me in a certain way that causes a little ripple that affects somebody else and you never know where that's going to end up and if you're putting it out with such positive intentions then you know that's it's putting out good vibes you know that's uh it it, it comes back to you i think <laughs> it really does because life is beautiful for me and you know like you know uh, you're, you're the ripple thing you just said i just connected with something that 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 connected very well with something i was thinking is if you were you know if you're thomas edison and you made the light bulb that's amazing but I'm pretty sure he made nowhere near as much money as General Electric has from making light bulbs. <laughs> but our world has light today because of that gentleman. Mm-hmm. The man who invented the telephone. The man who invented the TV screen. I'm pretty sure they never got to, to enjoy the full extent mm-hmm. of what really actually came from what they did. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure in their mind, they don't really care. Because if they were to actually like somehow see what's happening now, they'd be like, bro, my idea became the world. Yeah. And if what I put out was something that was just people treating each other better and for social media to be a little less fake, again, social media has its purpose. It's not bad, all bad. I love, I love that grandmas can hit up their grandkids and send a photo and people can connect in a way that, you know, you used to call your grandma and you'd be like, talk to her on the phone for five minutes. This stuff's boring. I got to get off the phone. Now, like, they can actually connect in a way where it's like, oh, I talked to my grandma. I sent her photos and I comment on her birthday and blah, blah, blah. I think mean, that's great. Mm-hmm. But, like, from the, from, from the side of, like, what people want, you know, why does everyone want to be an influencer? Like, I look at it and I go, what, so you want to be a commercial? Like, mm-hmm. like cool, you can post your guitar a thousand times on the, on, on a, on a webpage and tag your favorite brand. Oh my God, they put me in their story. Yeah. They put you in their story, but you're a, you're a free commercial, man. Or are you actually like at the point where you're like, I just played this guitar cause it's me. And then they noticed me and we connected like uh, Tom Anderson. I'll just use a small example. I played their guitars since 2015, I bought my first one. I bought a used one at a, at a shop. Loved it. I didn't end up keeping that one, but I've, I've, owned, I've owned five Tom Andersons over the whole time. And I still have two of them in my hands that I've kept. Now, when I played the booth in 2019, I played Breathe the Life at the booth. There's probably videos of it somewhere. <laughs> and I played it. And I remember Tom being in the middle of a meeting with a, like Lark guitars or something like that, like a really big guitar store. And I'm playing my song and he's just sitting there looking over his shoulder like, wow, that's Chris doing his thing. And the guy from Lark is like, yeah, we're going to buy these guitars. And they're, they're trying to like work out their deal. And Tom, you can tell he almost can't pay attention. He keeps looking over his shoulder because that was the first year I played on my own. Me and Sean played just our own sets. And then I jumped on one of Sean's songs just to be like old school memory because they call us they call us the twins because like me and Sean look really similar in person. If you see us in person, he has the long curly red hair. I have the long curly black hair. We both play like angel guitars and the way we hold them is similar because, you know, he helped me out a lot with my my body stuff. 
And so they're always be like, you guys are like the twins, man. Like, it's so cool. Like double dragon when you guys are here. And they, they would always say stuff like that. But, you know, I'm playing and I see Tom looking over and I'm just like, oh my God, Tom's watching, right? So I'm like, you know, I'm doing my thing. And as soon as I'm done, the, the music gets stopped on the laptop. I'm like, you know, like, oh, thanks guys. Like, you know, a couple of people clap. Tom just runs up to me. He goes, wow, I can't believe that you're like, that's, that's so amazing. And he just came up and he gave me a hug and everyone's there and like, they're still like clapping. And it was just like wow. that connection with Tom. Mm. That, that's what I want. That's what I want for people. Mm-hmm. If the guitar builder who builds the guitars that you play likes what you play, now we're talking, not just seeing you as an asset because you have 322K followers. Yeah. You know, like not seeing you as an asset, yeah. seeing you as like a person who's like, damn, man, I show up at that. I would show up at that concert and I'm freaking juiced that they actually play our guitars. Sweet. Yeah. That's, that's the real aim. That's the real, that's the real. And I think if people could feel that, if I could transfer that feeling to somebody, they'd be like, bro, I have like nothing left to do. Like I've met all my heroes. Mm. When I went to NAMM the first time, I jammed with half of them. The first time. Most of them were like, you have a cool energy, bro. You trying to grab a guitar? I'm like, bro, it's John Brown. You have a cool energy, bro. You trying to jam? I'm like, dude, that's Tim Henson. Bro, you trying to jam? Like, and you're like, bro, how come all these guys keep asking to jam? Because connection is the most important thing. You know? It doesn't matter how famous or unfamous someone is. It's just like who you would get along with. You know, I've looked up these guys' horoscopes, and some of us have like the same horoscope signs. Some of us are born the same year. It can be all that stuff. And that's cool to like kind of find those connections and like just look at that for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. But the real truth is who you're meant to be around will show up when you do things the way you do them. Mm-hmm. And then you'll actually have people in your corner who you're like, man, every time I turn my back, they're still there. Mm-hmm. Like when I turn around, they're like, that's the crew that's behind me. And I don't have to worry. I don't have to, I don't have to pay them to be there. I don't have to like every hangout just because they have a hangout doesn't mean I have to be there. Like, you know, you just, you just do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I think that for a lot of people, they, they feel obligated to do certain things to be in a circle. They feel obligated to live up to certain standards in order to have the friends that they have or else they won't have them. Mm-hmm. That should never be how we live. You know, we should, we should be surrounded by the people who want to see, and, and, and also hopefully you find people who you want to see their mission. In. You're like, bro, like they're doing something that like, if in the right spot, I would do the same thing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I, how can I aid them? Even if it's showing up and buying a t-shirt at a concert or it's making the point to say, Hey, I'm really good at this kind of art. If you ever need an art piece, just hit me up. I'll do one for you. Hey, I'm really good at, you know, I, you know, I have friends who they do video game stuff and they're like, if I ever need guitar, Chris, I'll hit you up. And you're like, sweet. Cause they might need help. And then I'm not going to be the first guy to be like, Oh, so what's the rate I'm going to play. And then if they give me, if they, if they pay me, then guess what? I made money as a musician. You know, every guitar lesson I teach, you know, I have a couple students, you know, right now who are absolute gems. And our lessons are like, we're supposed to be an hour and they end up being two every time, every time. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times you're like, bro, can I borrow a guitar? I'm like, of course you can just come back with it. You know? Yeah. And they come back with it and they go, dude, after playing your guitar, I'm going to go get this similar guitar. After doing this, I'm going to go do this similar thing. Mm-hmm. And you just open their life up. That's all we can do for each other. I mean, that's what, isn't that what love is? Love is actually you like seeing yourself. The biggest part of love is when you fall in love with somebody is they reflect you to yourself. And it's the craziest <laughs> feeling. That's why you feel so crazy when you're in love. Cause you're like, finally, like 
someone's telling me the real story about how I'm like seen from a positive point. It's kind of nuts. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Damn. <laughs> it's so cool, man. And again, these themes echo about just authentic expression, you know? And I mean, yeah, you, you're talking about Instagram influencers and things like that. I guess there's a lot of superficial um, uh, things in our society, you know? Um, which I guess is, yeah, a theme that can go throughout as well. Or even like, you know, talking about diet and stuff, like actually you can debate a lot of things about diet, but the biggest problem of all is how much crap people eat, you know, totally, um, you know, processed superficial foods and, and things like that. And yeah, I suppose I, I get that kind of a, as a thing that you're saying here, you know, um, that, yeah, don't forget our nature, you know, and what's important and and the real authentic expression and not get too distracted by all of the superficial elements that's, you know, we are actually quite bombarded with in uh, this day and age. Yeah, it's, uh, it's easy. Hyper-processed information, the hyper-processed food that you actually just mentioned, you know, uh, again, I, I do a lot of diet. There is an episode on Tone and Toneful that does talk about diet. And, uh, you know, I adhere to a keto diet. That's something that I do. Um, I've done carnivore for multiple years, you know, as like, you know, and, uh, you know, I love to talk about the protocols to doing that healthy. I'm not a, I'm, again, I'm not a, a health influencer, so I'm not going to jump on there and be like, you know, I, I search through a lot of information. I've, 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 uh, I do a lot of studying to, uh, before I ever make a recommendation on anything, you know, before I'd ever say something would be a good idea. So, mm-hmm. um, and I've usually been through it myself. Usually I've done it and then gone like, whoa, well, this is a crazy. You said, so you said you did carnivore, but you also did vegan at some point previously, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so I did. So you've kind of tried it all. <laughs> I've been from the standard American diet, which is. Yeah. Yeah, of course I had an egg McMuffin from McDonald's and a hash brown for breakfast. And then I had pizza for lunch. And then for some odd reason, I topped that off with another burger tonight. So I've done that. Uh, you know, I got really overweight. Um, again, at my height, you know, 163, 164 centimeters, you know, you know, to be, uh, you know, I was like close to 200 pounds and I wasn't in a good weight. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was bad. Mm. And then, uh, you know, now I'm, you know, 175, 180, but obviously body proportion is totally different. Yeah, yeah, totally different. <laughs> I probably sit at about, uh, you know, on a general day, probably 9% body fat is where I usually kind of sit around. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a reflection. Uh, I think the way that we take care of ourselves and the way that we view life is a reflection of just how we feel about the world. Mm. Um, again, I get it. Like, you know, we've all got to make a living. We've all got to, we've all got to do what we got to do. And it's easy to get involved in that hyper palatable world, so to speak of all levels, whether that's food, whether that's validation, whether that's just needing attention seeking, you know, that, that whole part of life is very easy to get caught into. It's very easy Mm -hmm. to go, well, of course I need more attention because otherwise my music career won't take off. Actually, I know plenty of musicians who are very, very stable and you never see them online at all. They don't need to do anything online. They just play gigs consistently, mm-hmm. you know, um, what the band, I can't remember what it was. It's Wally, Wally Snolly and the, the stupid trout or dumb trout. I don't know. I saw who I saw Christo Vichef with. 
But the drummer, I never heard of this guy. And I look him up and he's like professor at all these like music schools. He's like done like, you know, at Berkeley, at this, at this, at this. And, he, and I'm like, dude, I saw him at this little club in San Jose. But this guy is like, has this buildup of life. And when you see him, he's like 70 and he looks like he's 50 because he's juiced on life. He lives a very, a path that I would consider, I would hope is similar to something like me, which is hopefully over time, as I become older, I will enjoy the youthfulness of being a person who's older that doesn't seem that old just because Mm -hmm. I love life every day. I don't carry the weight and the burden. I don't carry pain. I work on, if I did have pain, I try to address it through self-reflection, which is, again, Tone to Toneful is almost like a video journal of me talking out loud mm-hmm. and people going, whoa, how come my life is shockingly in a similar place? And we can, we can discuss on it from there. Yeah. And we've got, we've got like, a, I've got more episodes coming and it's been such a thing with editing them and uh, sitting down and getting things done. But there's a lot more in store for you guys. There's a lot more coming that is going to be uh, still the same talks that we've had. Um, I'm looking to do uh, an interview with Tom Anderson for the Toned and Toneful podcast and talk about guitar building and him being the age he is and how happy he is and how wonderful of a human being he is and how everyone looks at him as, I mean, the dude, the dude, like, you know, there's so many like little stories, but supposedly the original gem is based on something that Tom Anderson did. Nice. And the original, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen's Kramers were all fixed by Tom Anderson. Cause that was the only person that was like a trusted dude in the area. And Tom Anderson used to work at Schechter guitars and he used to work alongside John Sewer. And you can see John Sewer and Tom Anderson both blew up into their own builders. Mm. But to see the story of somebody who has, so much positivity and so many people see him in such a high light and he's just okay with being the guy in the shop. He doesn't need more than that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want more than that. He, he has every worker at, at the factory makes an incredible wage. They all take care of themselves. They all love each other. They all bring their dogs into work and they just laugh every day. Oh, and if, if my life can be like that guitar factory, if my life can be like, that drummer who's 70 on stage, who seems like he's 50 and he's just hitting the drums with all his strength, you know, saying funny stuff too, man. I, I've never seen a drummer tune his drum up at a gig and he goes, he goes, I know I'm tuning this drum and it seems unprofessional, but this is for your listening pleasure. And fucking the whole crowd laughs. And then he goes into like playing. You can't make this up, dude. You can't, this shit is, is real. And they deliver it in such genuine levels that i just hope that i could be that genuine on 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 any point for anybody because yeah, it's wonderful <laughs> totally totally well man you are you are being i would say man and and as you say it's it's that gift and when you receive that gift from others the best thing you can do is you know give give it back out man and you know share the love <laughs> so you're doing a wonderful job with that man and uh one, th- one thing that I was curious of just now as I piece it together, you know, you're clearly very dedicated to guitar and music. You must, you know, um, you know, put a lot into working out and things like that. You work full time. You know, I'm, I'm really curious, like, what, what does your day-to-day life look like? Let's talk about a day-to-day. It's actually pretty, <laughs> intense, actually pretty intense, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of a funny thing. 
So I wake up anywhere between three to four in the morning and uh, my time cool. and uh, get up really early. And what I'll do is um, right now, one of my really big goals along with releasing my music is I would really love to play like jazz lounges or like bars. And I'm working on songs like Fly Me to the Moon from Frank Sinatra and things like The Girl from Ipanema and things like that. And the goal is, is uh, to kind of incorporate that language, not only in my playing, but to start finding musicians who play in that realm of jazz to spend time with them and to incorporate the rock ideas that I do have into that with them. So building that language and going, you know, I'm going to learn Chinese today, basically in my own, in my own way. That's like, you know, that's like, you know, I speak English with rock and roll and now I'm learning Chinese with, with jazz language where you're like, Oh, you know, you're doing this tritone substitution or Hey, like how to do all these different changes and how to, how to approach target notes and stuff. Right. So you're doing all that and you're like, cool. I'll usually do that from about three in the morning to about five at five in the morning. Once my body's awake, I'll always have, um, I have a pretty, pretty specific diet. Um, I use a, a little calorie tracker slash macro tracker on my phone. And, uh, you know, I aim for, you know, high protein, high fat, really, really low carbs. Um, mm which is a little bit away from the traditional bodybuilder diet, which is really high carbs, really high protein, and then very small fat. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I, I like high fat diets and the reason that I like um, the heavier protein and with lower carbs is um, less, less inflammation in the joints, less inflammation in the bones. Um, I've had one cavity in my life. The one cavity ended up being all these dental problems I've talked about in Tone and Tone Full has been from yeah. one cavity gone wrong. So I'm afraid of any teeth things because I, I never want it to be the case. And um, what's this called? Uh, I, uh, so I'll cook myself, what, six eggs, one whole, and then five, five egg whites. That'll be the first thing in the morning. And then I'll have, usually I'll like have some form of keto bread because I just want to be able to like feel full. So I'll have like, some keto bread and I'll have two slices of toast and then I'll have like broccoli, asparagus, and then maybe like one form of meat on the side. And I have worked away from sausages just cause they're so uh, processed. So I'll usually just have like a little bit of ground beef with some seasoning or I'll have a little bit, a little bit of chicken with my eggs. So I'll have that. Um, usually my breakfast is, I eat, I eat a kind of a significant amount. I eat, about, I eat around four to 5,000 calories a day. So kind of significant. Four to 5,000. Very crazy. Yeah. Wow. Very, I have a very high metabolism. Um, I'm half Japanese, half black. So I don't know how that plays into it, but wow. <laughs> you lose weight like crazy if I don't. So I'll have that in the morning. Um, and then by six, I'm in the shower, I'm out. I'll usually, uh, do this five days of the week. So I'll, so I'll get up at six. I'll head over to work. My work is a 11 mile bike ride away. So I'll bike over there, wow. get over there. Um, once I get over there, um, I work until five at night. Um, I'm an inventory director at the job that I'm at. So um, I help with making sure that all the products that get brought in from companies and stuff like that are all correct. I like invoice. I do all the invoices and everything like that, purchase orders and, uh, you know, I have a team that's under me and that, you know, I treat them the same way that we, we, we act in tone and toneful. We, we just, we just get each other juiced. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I try to have my team juiced up every day. Um, I love cooking. So a lot of times if I make extra food in the morning, I'll bring it for them, whether it's like little food oh, or something awesome. like that. And I always just try to, you know, just try to share with them. And they're always like, Oh, this tastes crazy. Like, what is this? Or what seasoning is this? Or like, Hey, how do you make this? And so I try to share that with them. Cause a lot of them are younger and they don't cook for themselves yet and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So just trying to get them in the mindset. And then, um, 
when I get off work, I uh, usually head out, um, get back here, uh, 5.30-ish, and that's when I start doing the rock guitar practice. I turn on the Marshall, the JCM 800, and uh, my JCM 800's so lucky. It's got like 1970s tubes in it. It has all this cool stuff. It was a gift from Sean. And, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really amazing. It's got two effects loops, man. It's got one on the clean channel and the dirty channel. So you can run two freaking pedal boards depending on what you're doing. And uh, it's got two separate master volumes for both clean and distorted channels. And it's FJK. Uh, FJK is like a lot of the amps from the 80s were modded by FJK. And it's basically like that hot rotted, like that hot rotted, like you can get like up to like Mesa gain on this particular Marshall just with, with no pedals. Wow. But what I'll do is I'll usually put a dirt pedal in the front just to kind of allow me to get like the crunch and everything. So I'll, yeah. I'll jam around on that and come up either with ideas. Um, and if I don't come up with ideas, I'll just, I have like a set list of songs that I like to play. So right now it's like Waves by Guthrie. Um, uh, what's this called? Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson. Get You Back and Great Pianos Flying by Sean Lane. And then um, I usually will do like a bunch of like R&B songs. Like, cause I really always want to be sure that my guitar playing sounds like a singer. I don't know. I don't, I, that's my attraction to it. And then I'm working on Andy Timmons' Cry For You. But that song is just so crazy, like, so crazy. And it's not crazy because, like, the technique is hard or anything. But it's like, dude, if you do one bend and you, like, get it wrong, you're like, sorry, we got to start the whole song over. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just too good. Like, no, you got to do it right for him. And so, yeah, I go through that set list. Usually about 7 or 8 o'clock at night, I'll start cooking up um, – my dinner, when I cook in the morning, I always, obviously always meal prep for the whole day. So mm. the middle of the day will usually be like a couple, like uh, you can get frozen like burger patties and they're great to just like mm. heat up. Like you can just already cook them in the morning and have them. Um, if you're on, if you're, if you're noticing that your weight's having a little hard time holding, you can always add a slice of cheese on top of those. If you're noticing that you're feeling a little more like, all right, I'm, I'm like getting to the weight that I want, but I'm like, my body composition is not exactly what I want. You can kind of toy with the idea of like, okay, maybe one with cheese, or maybe I'll have more of a salad with the meat and only do half the meat. And you kind of got to work these things out. They're, they're slow, but they come together. But one of the things you'll notice when you bring the carbohydrates and the starches back to maybe 10% of your diet or less, like, so if you have, shoot, if you have like a 2000 calorie diet, which is pretty standard for most people, and you get down to 200, uh, 200 calories and you divide that by four, you can have like 50 grams of carbs. Uh, there's four grams of, uh, uh, there's four calories in every gram of carbohydrate. So you get down to 50 and you can kind of, you can kind of mess with it from there and kind of get yourself, uh, as lean as you want. And then you can just add in like, like carbs intermittently to help with energy, depending on how you're feeling. Mm. Um, but at night I'll cook up my dinner and then I usually try to get to bed, uh, between 10 and 11. I try not to stay up like, like absurdly late. Like I try to get, you know, if I can get to bed at 10, that, that'd be ideal. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what a normal day looks like. When I record toned and toneful, I always do it really early in the morning. Something about toned and toneful is like, I wake up yeah, and I totally. literally, those ones are literally wake up and I record them. So I'll wake up, I'll turn on my lights. I'll set up real quick. It's just a little iPhone video. And then I just set up the sound through, I got like a, universal audio over here and i just i just i go with a mic straight in and i know i notice a lot of people will get expensive like like uh voice mics and all this stuff like that and that's great like if you like that's what, how your studio is set up and you're also recording singers and things like that good mm -hmm. but for a lot of people who want to start off you know 
you know, I got a little Audix OM2. This microphone is like 35 bucks and it's not, you know, I, I didn't try to be cheap. It's just one of the ones I bought when I first started my first band and it just has never broken since I was 15. So I use it's good. it. And, it's good then, isn't it? <laughs> dude, dude, it lasts forever. And so, um, yeah, I'll use that and I'll record the podcast. And the whole goal is to turn it on and just like a journal or just like anything we've talked about today, just get, just, just go into it. And the more that you do that, the more clarity you have naturally to your thought when you speak every day. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure for you, doing the first podcast was immensely harder than doing them now, just because of the nature of the talking, how you want to ask, what things you notice when you're listening. You notice more things now, I bet. When you listen, you're like, huh, you know, and that's the same thing that happened to me. I became more averse uh, or more, more well versed with what I hear and what's going on. Because the world is always speaking to us, mm-hmm. always. And the learn, better you learn to listen, I think that's what wisdom is. I don't think wisdom is like, some people, they never gain wisdom because they never learn to listen. And I think the mm-hmm. people who learn to listen become the wisest people. Just people who just are like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what um, the general day looks like over here. And just, yeah, lots of biking. And if I could recommend that, you know, you know, anything to anybody is just do a little physical activity, whether even that's a walk. It's not about like being the buffest person in the world. Maybe that's my aim. Like I like bodybuilding, but your aim, anyone's aim could be like, Hey, I just, I just want to be fit. Like, I just want to get down to a point where when I play my guitar, I don't ever feel winded. When I carry my amp up to the, to the show, I just want to feel like I got the amp up there and I'm like, and my back doesn't hurt, you know, yeah. everyone's got different goals. So when, when do you do workouts and you must do weight, weightlifting and stuff? Oh right? yeah, I do. So, um, I do, I do weightlifting in the morning. Uh, it depends. So pretty much what I like to do, uh, is I don't do a lot of ab training. I think that a lot of people will do ab training a lot. Um, I think abs actually can come out really easily. Once your diet's correct, you'll start noticing like, Oh cool. Like they're actually really showing. I don't really need to do a lot. So I focus a lot on incline bench. I focus a lot on uh, rear delts and back. And then like shoulder stuff. And then I do a lot with legs. Uh, like for an example, uh, my waist is 25 inches right now, but mm. my, but my legs are 23 and a half. So my legs are almost as thick yeah. as my, yeah. So when you're, when you're working towards that, like the, the proportionality of it, I think it's about picking out the right workouts for the right body parts. And just depending on how you want it to look. Um, so bodybuilding is all an illusion, you know, no one's got the perfect, everything so you just kind of got to work with what you got to work with um but i always look 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 up to those guys from like the 19 like 40s and 50s like where they're like really beautifully proportioned i don't take any like crazy supplements i don't even use creatine at the moment no crazy supplements i do take like magnesium which is like a natural you know mineral i do take mm-hmm. my potassium and i take things like that but I, I never advocate for people taking anything that will harm their, their hormones or harm themselves. Like you don't mm. need that. Everybody's body. Like once you put work in for a couple of years, you'd be surprised how cool you look. You, you can get very mm. superhero esque in a couple of years mm. without it being a, a daunting. It's just, it's just like guitar playing. Like, right. Like if you want to be Guthrie Govan in three weeks, yeah, now we got to do, we got to <laughs> do something. Weird. But if you understand that in three years, if I really work on, this song, that song, and the approach three years from now, I'm probably going to be a lot closer than that, than I, than I would even think. Cause consistency is the ultimate key in anything that we want to do. So yeah, I do try to include everything that I do every day. 
my work is five days a week. Again, I have two days off. So today is one of my days off. So after this, I'm probably going to go for a little bike ride, go head over to the uh, local guitar store, get a nice. fresh set of elixirs to put on this Tom Anderson, some <laughs> elixir OptiWeb 10s. I really like those. And I play the uh, little little baby jazz threes, you know, little, nice. little classic guys. And nice. yeah, I'm just going to kick back, go through some songs today, think about this interview that we've had. And on, on my weekends, I think about the things that I've done. I take multiple hours with no music. I actually don't listen to as much music as people would think I listen to. Mm. Um, I, though I do love a lot of music, I do think that our brain needs space. So every day I provide myself space to just, you'll notice there's a lot of thoughts. And in meditation, what are you, what are you learning? You're learning, okay, I'm going to grab those and, and maybe just, just learn to just kind of just pull that out of my way for now. Mm-hmm. because the right answer is going to come immediately. If it's in the back of your mind, the right answer will just show up. I'm pretty sure you've had like moments where you're like, oh crap, like if I do this, that'll solve this problem. And it wasn't really because you were thinking about it. It was because you were letting your subconscious work on it. Totally. And I think our subconscious totally. is always at work. So I think that if you can be careful with your brain and learn that silence is your friend sometimes, you can learn that, hey, when I do a workout, it doesn't always need to have like the craziest like music, like pumping myself up every time. Sometimes I just go, you know, I'm just going to listen to myself breathe and I'm going to crunch through this workout and really just eat well and really just feel good while I do it. Maybe there's no sound. Once in a while, shoot, I'll even, you know, because I work on singing a lot, you know, hopefully one day I'll get to do some singing on some stuff. I'll throw on like nice. 20 karaoke tracks in a row and I'll just sing. Nice, that's and, cool. And then that's like my jam for the day. And then I'm like, oh man, like I'm starting to get really close to this note. And then you know, another thing that I think uh, is a really great time spender, like if you if you got time, is to take your guitar and sing along with what you play on the guitar. Mm. Just to be aware that if you were to hum a melody, that you could pick up the guitar and go, I know that that, that note, when I go, hmm, at this note, that's my fifth fret on the D string, or that's this. Like, I can just mm-hmm. get right there and like kind of mess around with the idea. And the closer the closer you are with yourself, everything else just falls in place. So I think mm-hmm. providing yourself time, and I don't do too much social media. I'll try to go on there like two, two times a day. Mm-hmm. And I think that the one thing I do want to work on is like, if I were to say like, add something, cause I think it's important to talk about what you want to work on. I, I don't think people should mm. only say what they're doing, but what I want to work on is, um, having toned and toneful have more options in this upcoming year. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of look at like the next episode I'm putting out is season two and like, nice. Season two is kind of like the goal is, is the first episode is going to be talking about where I've been and what I've been doing for the last few months. Cause, um, once I started dealing with this tooth problem, I had a bad kind of tooth problem. It really made me recognize how important health is just in, in all general ways mm-hmm. and just start talking about, um, what it is to really take care of oneself. Like what we're talking about right now and giving yourself mm-hmm. space and in this next season, I think one of the things that I really want to hone down on is if you're self-reflecting, if you're doing all the things we talked about in the first season, how do you know you're getting the results you want? How do you know you're getting closer to where? And how do you deal with stumbling blocks? How do, how do we, like, just like we talked about, how do we slay the dragon today? I think today was awesome practice for me to think about it because <laughs> that's kind of coming up, those mindsets, mm-hmm. talking about what you're really doing with that. And one of the episodes that we're going to be talking about why it's actually better to be specifically good rather than it is to be 
generally okay. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about today, you know, like, uh, you know, you want to be the best in everything. Sure. Go ahead. But actually it's really good to be really good at what you're good at. And yeah. just, just <laughs> knowing that how to, how to find that and accept it and not feel less for that. I mean, this, I don't know when it changed for me and I don't know when it changes for other people, but hopefully if someone doesn't feel the best about what they're doing, I can help guide them to a place that they could see that there's value in what they're doing. If they take that to where they're trying to go. And, um, I have some artwork that's created. I have some shirts that are getting made right now. Um, and, uh, like, like you might notice there's like a new toned and toneful. That's like a death metal logo that I kind of put on stuff, like in nice. some of the things. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, I have some, some fun stuff like that coming. And, um, yeah, I just want to, it's not about money or it's not about having a merch store, but it's about, you know, just people being able to say, when, you know, you know, and the t-shirts just saying, Hey, when, you know, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's all it is. And, uh, I look forward to uh, doing some open mics this year and, and handing some of those shirts out and meeting people. And, um, definitely going to find out where you're at. Cause I'm going to be sending you some stuff very soon. Find oh, out what cool, size huh? you wear and stuff. I'm very <laughs> Definitely uh, doing a couple coffee mugs and things like that. So we'll we'll get you we'll get you set up. And uh, oh, thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. man. Like I'm I'll just happily excited. rip that. <laughs> I'm just happy. Yeah, thank you. And I'm just so happy to uh, I don't know just share this uh, this wonderful experience that started off as me being hurt and that has now turned into getting to know people like you. Mm-hmm. I've met some uh, gentleman named Forrest who's a really really good guitar player out here in the math rock scene out here in America. He's up in Portland, Oregon, and he's a really great player. And, it's closened up my, my friendships with certain, uh, certain individuals who I've had and even Angel Vivaldi drops by the podcast and leaves comments and stuff. And it's, it really shows me how much support there is for, uh, the movement that's going on. And, um, yeah, I just, I really want to work on that this year. And, uh, like, uh, you know, you've, you've even offered me like, you know, talk about some stuff, you know, later that, that I'm, I'm just ecstatic about. I'm ecstatic. Oh man, dude. Yeah. It's, it, man. I'm so excited for you and 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 everything that's to come, man. I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm a huge admirer of everything that you're doing. It's so cool to be able to connect like this, man. It's certainly one um, wonderful thing about the internet and this digital realm is, uh, you know, yeah, we're using it to our power. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly that, uh, dude. Like, it's just a, you know, I literally feel like I could talk to you all day <laughs> but you know we've been going for a good while man and uh we got we've got to cut it somewhere so before we close up is there is there anything in particular that you'd like to get in there um i just really want to thank you william for taking the moment to uh, reach out to me and thank you for making this a uh, reality for us that we can speak for the first time like face to face so to speak mm-hmm. and um yeah this has been really enjoyable Thank you, man. Thank you. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And just one last thing. Um, do you have any idea yet when some this EP and some new music, is there anything in... Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so my goal is... Uh, my birthday is November 2nd. So send me gifts. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. no, but my birthday is November 2nd. And my goal cool. is that for my, my birthday gift to myself, I wanted to put out the first single and then drop the rest of the wow. EP. I've uh, got some artwork that's getting manipulated and all dealt with right now. And uh, yeah, the EP is going to be called Romantic. And it just, the idea is, you know, we want to romanticize our story. And we nice. want to romanticize the experiences we've been through so that they can hold the highest, utmost value of love. And that's, so 
So starting uh, starting November 2nd, hopefully from there on, we're going to be dropping stuff, my brother. I love that, man. That's so exciting, dude. So cool. Great note to, to end on, man. Chris, thank you so, so much. I, uh, I really hope we get to do this again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creating the Universe. A special thank you to Chris for joining me. It was a real pleasure to have this chat. Be sure to check out Chris on social media at The Tiger Loves Jazz. And check out the Toned and Toneful podcast at Toned and Toneful. That's all for this one. I'll see you next time.